and welcome to another episode of Burning Bridges with Bridgeburner and I am your eponymous host Bridgeburner and today we're very much blessed by having the, uh, the two lovely developers of uh, what I call Movement Shooter, uh, probably wrong, uh, Sprawl which is a very exciting game um, that I've had the pleasure of helping test. Welcome in. Thank you, thank you for having us. Yeah, it's um, great to be here. Yeah, I mean, like this is—I mean, I think I can't remember when I first sh- saw um, shots and, and footage of your game, and it's just one of the ones that's like, this looks exciting. Um, and um, yeah, um, being able to actually actually help you guys with uh, with a bit of playtesting has been an absolute pleasure. Um, so why don't you start? I mean, um, we actually touched on it briefly, um, uh, Ember, uh, just before we started. Um, uh, how did when did Sprawl start, and how did it get going? Well, funny you mentioned that because Hannah has done some digging and found. <laughs> message that started our conjoined development together just to give a little bit of backstory i started working on sprawl when covid first hit basically like a few months into it just because i by trade i'm a musician um i produce music and that kind of stuff and i you know specifically dance music and for me dance music has always been something that's highly contextualized by you know a live setting it's very hard for you to listen to a dance music album from let's say after like 2003 and have it stand on its own two legs because it's a very high energy live oriented style of music mm. um and so when shows died it was just basically like okay how the how the fuck am i going to make this work mm. right how, how can i create something that will enable people to digest the music and still have some sort of context to it and for me the answer was like i i grew up playing video games it was my first love like making mods for like shit like halo and stuff like that quake all the source engine games and my first introduction to dance music was old ps1 titles like wipeout was huge there's like a fotex song and a prodigy tune on that and that was like like a like a life-changing thing and so i wanted to create something that kind of tapped into that vein by having like an immersive you know shooter experience that was contextualized by my music and so it was going to be something small simple just like a quake mod you know and i called it sprawl and i started working on it and i would show it off in the quake discord and then lo and behold hannah one day is popping in there and then asks the question like hey who's who's working on some shit i don't even remember what you asked <laughs> you, you you have the message pulled up right yeah uh so right, for, for my end verbatim <laughs> oh yeah, I was I was I literally just straight up went, you know, anyone have any examples of maps done in like the Ion Fury cyberpunky style? Because uh at the time I was uh I, I put together a demo like months and months beforehand and uh it was like just a flowing gun and like wall running and I'd nailed the wall running but I'd hit a wall about like what do I do in terms of content? You know, I'm not an artist, I'm not you know, a level designer or whatever. Yeah, I'm, you know, I, I'm a gameplay programmer. Like, that's, that's my job, like my day job. So I was, like, always playing around with little, like, demos here and there. But I hit on something with the wall running. I was like, I need to make this a game. But I didn't know, I, did, I didn't have the skills to do everything. So I was like, oh, well, maybe if I, you know, learn how to do, like, quake mapping or whatever, it'll be an easier way to do the art. Or maybe I can get a quake mapper to, to, to help out or whatever. So I was saying, does anyone have any examples of like Am Fury cyberpunky stuff? I'm working in UE4 and I'm tempted to try out the Quake engine, get involved with that. And Chris Holden, uh, funnily enough, was like, Cyberpunk in Quake? Like, where was your guy? <laughs> yeah. um, 
<laughs> so I, I literally I clicked I clicked on the link, saw some of what he was working on, and I messaged him and I was like, dude, drop what you're doing, drop this quake mod, come work in Unreal with me. Stop that stop that. And it, it took some convincing. <laughs> it took some convincing. But uh yeah, that's that's how we got started. That was uh that was August eleventh, twenty twenty was the the genesis of Sprawl. That's quite interesting because um, I mean, like you know, I, I, I imagine uh, most um, most most game concepts come have pretty interesting backstories. But like having actually starting from the music as your initial concept um, is um, actually something that does happen in, in the Doom community. But you know, you get people who write a track and then make a map for that track. Um, so I was trying to think how I can formulate this. Yeah, do you reckon that? Do you reckon like having the music as kind of like the original genesis has was that a more difficult design path to go down or was it just just flow naturally? That was, that was, that was ideal to this day. So like funnily enough, a lot of the music that's going into sprawl, I wrote a year and a half ago, basically, even before I had even started working on the quake version of it, like, mm. I was writing music and I already, already had like a visual as to like what everything was going to look like. The, 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 the episodes that sprawl is divided into even today are still following that same idea, that same thread. I laid it all out in my head, and I'm like, this is what it's going to sound like, this is what it's going to look mm. like. And so the music forms the level design, and throughout it, the level design also informs the music, because you have to, which, which is another great topic we can get, in, get, we can get into, which is the dynamic music system, that, that which is insane, and enabled me to be as creative as possible, and have you know, music be such a shining center of, of attention with everything that sprawl is um but to just circle back on your question um no it's if anything it's made it easier mm. uh, i've been telling hannah for example about episode two I, what it's gonna look like what it's gonna sound like <laughs> every every single last aspect about it for a year telling her like this is gonna be the best part of this whole game and i had the music that was super industrial tinged with and that's the kind of shit that i love mm. you know and super I'm, dark press i'm convinced to this Sorry. Yeah, so I was about to say, I'm, I'm entirely convinced to this day the only reason he's working with me is because he had not, we had one demand, and that was this music system. It was to be able to, it was to be able to, to like, bring if you this code to this, life. I can make you, I will make you, if you code this for me, I will make all the levels you want. <laughs> I'll fucking exactly. do everything. Because he could be a dynamic music system because I feel like one of the biggest reasons why Doom Eternal and Doom 2016 were so popular, and I enforce this with data and statistics and everything else is fucking Mick Gordon yeah. and his music and the fact that when you're playing that game and you're like like shot like cutting some sh- fucking demon's head off with a chainsaw and the blood is coming out like you get these riffs that happen mm. and it's all it's all very much like you feel like the music's going along with you and there's very few titles that, that have pulled that off to that extent because there's a difference between dynamic music and something say like Skyrim which is all orchestral and like it fades in and then mm. it fades out and that's like that's all you get and something that's very much like musical that's beat oriented right like it's like one two three four next loop starts Mm. and having that sort of dynamic interplay between the combat the game loop and the music itself makes you feel like a badass and yeah i think it's important for it's probably i think having that dynamicism is less important with something say like skyrim where it is a much slower paced experience you know the scripted events you know when people are going to be you know, interacting with certain objects. Whereas in a, a game like Doom Eternal or or Sprawl, it's that fast-paced, snappy action. Yeah, you want you want that like immediate response to the player's actions with the music to change. 
Uh, and I admit right. I'm, I'm quite jealous of that because Jizudum can't handle that. <laughs> um, and uh, it is, you're right. It, I, like, I, if the game was bad, Doom Eternal still would have wouldn't have done well. If the, even if the music was this good, but I, I agree that it did help just draw all those elements together. And 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 it's, it's the kind of the thread that connects everything that the player does. Um, yeah. And and um, even if you don't pick up on it, because it just you just kind of get lifted along with the experience. Yeah, and, and and to be frank, I've never seen anything like it before. Any other game where you have video after video talking about the music, the soundtrack for a video. Mm-hmm. I I can't think of anything else. Like it, the entire communities have sprung around and artists have come out that are just really good at emulating that sound mm-hmm. and are working with it and like essentially making stuff that sounds like him and expanding on it and it's like i know enough about music to understand like hey that's how a, like a genre is born mm-hmm. that's exactly it's one guy does something really cool and like 35 people are like that's awesome i want to do what he did and they keep pushing it and suddenly you have something brand new and it's like that was spurred out of a video game and i've never seen that and for me, that's incredibly powerful and inspiring, and it's something that I want to tap into for Sprawl. Yeah, it's quite, it's, it's quite like, again, we were talking earlier um, offline, um, Ember, about, you know, like, your stars aligning with certain things. And I think when you had, uh, you had someone like Mick Gordon, um, who is, a, you know, obviously an incredible composer, and tapping into the rise of, like, styles like Gent and that kind of, like, industrial, like, breakbeat kind of synth, um, you know, there's all these weird kind of, like, genre descriptors for it but it, as they got that nice driving beat and you know similar to dance music and i felt like he was the right man at the time to and also to fold in metal elements that all the old school you know bogan boomer shooter fans want as well and create this perfect kind of synergy between those tones that also worked really well in a gameplay setting yeah a hundred percent and like i think one of the big things that was actually i think one of the, the things that's talked about less there is actually um, he did a talk at GDC where he explained when he first started on the Doom soundtrack, he had one um, kind of rule, and it was it was no synths. Mm-hmm. It was it was guitars. Like uh, it, it, it was the other way around actually. It was basically okay. um, no, no no guitars. You have to you have to do all the new age. Um, take it in that direction. But obviously he's sitting there going, "That's not Doom. That's not. <laughs> that's not what Doom's yeah. about." <laughs> but what he, what he spent like so much of that time doing was taking the the kind of new synth um, kind of sound and and kind of making it appeal to the the, the Doom um, fan base. And it just resulted in such a unique sound to the point that you know he started to bring the guitars back. But by that point, he'd worked out a processing chain that it wasn't cliche anymore. Everything just sounded so unique mm. that, you know, as soon as he showed the, the higher-ups at Bethesda, it was just straight away like, yes, you can have it. Like, you can break that one rule that we gave you, which was no, no guitars. <laughs> yeah, like, we bow and to your artistic it was, vision. <laughs> it, was pure, it was exactly, it was, it was the restriction placed upon him, I think, that um, kind of bred the, the kind of creativity that, as you said, you know, like a, a genre was born kind of that day, you know? It was it's it's crazy, and it's crazy how much of an impact it had on on the game. And that and that's just it just lends itself to creativity in general. When you have restrict when you have restrictions, when you have a limited color palette, that's when new things are born. When you can do anything, always that's when you're just staring at the screen blankly. You know that's why retro shooters are so interesting to me. It's because it kind of appeals to that same thing in music. When you have an an infinite sample library mm-hmm. and an infinite palette of sounds, and you have no restriction on what you're going to do, you're just going to stare that at the screen and be like. Ah. 
I can do anything. Yeah, you need your you, know? you need your play your 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 tool chest to be defined, or your box of toys, or whatever exactly. whatever analogy you want to use. So like, otherwise, yeah, like you said, it's like where where do I start? I don't really know. Yeah. So well, we need to put some 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 boxes around things to like this is these are what we're going to choose from, and and see what we can create with 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 those. Um, and yeah, I think uh, it's cool seeing maybe not so much with the dynamicism, but it's very cool seeing um, like these you know retro shooters coming through and putting a lot of emphasis on the music. Uh, and there's some yeah. incredible composers out there, like just all over the place, you see these people rising up. Uh, and uh, a, you know, an example of someone who's uh, kind of reached the pinnacle going through that process is Mr. Holsholt. Um, you know, making yeah. first tribute sound- soundtracks for like, his ID Cafe work with the Doom stuff, um, work, reworks of the Rise of the Triad 2013, Rad Rogers, um, to creating his own compositions in, in medieval and dusk, and now he is the, one of the Doom, comp- you know, <laughs> the new Doom composers. Um, and I think you can you can see in his work that passion coming to fruition and, and that focus um, that I think yeah. it makes it very exciting to be a game composer at the moment. I think we're in a bit of a golden age. Yeah, one hundred percent. There's a lot going on in this scene that's really really interesting from a music standpoint. And again, like I. I'll say this till the day I die. I am a musician that stumbled into game. <laughs> you know, I think that's cool that you can, yeah, you, know, you can come into this industry from a lot of different angles. And yeah, someone who's you know, a pure composer, um, you know, meeting the right person to help them get into things and, um, and yeah, creating something fantastic. And it, I think it shows that, you know, if you have the time and, and energy, you can learn, you can teach yourself the skills to make a game pretty easily. You, you can teach yourself how to do anything. You have a fountain of unlimited information sitting on your desk or just sitting yeah. on your table. Exactly. You know, whatever it is that you want to learn, like you can just figure it out. I, my background was literally I made source mods, and then before that, like when I was like twelve, I used to make maps for Halo. Mm-hmm. You know, and then throughout the process of me doing my my touring and all that other shit when I was younger, I would make my own visuals still in like 3ds Max or Blender or whatever, mm-hmm. and like just kind of kept up with the idea of like I can still kind of 3D model. But when I like the the night and day difference between like my ability to like make levels, art, whether it's animations or character designs or any of that shit from two years ago to Mm. now is night and day. And that was just all because every day I practice. And that's the same thing for anything. You want to learn how to cook? All right, there's plenty of videos. Yeah. Or just start or just start messing around in the kitchen. Like grab some ingredients and see what happens, you know? <laughs> and it goes to show it's it's like how important like the modding scene is. And it's like it's such a shame that like modern gaming has kind of left that behind mm. for the most part. Like so you you do end up getting um, you know, games that where there is limited modding available, you know, like maybe there's an inbuilt level editor where you just place props around, but you don't have for rushes or you can't yeah you can't script things things like that it's because the thing is is that people that want to get into it um you know like they if if you give you like oh well you've got more tools than ever you have unity you have unreal you have all these other things but they've got nothing to start with if you want to be a level designer what what are you going to make levels for your only options are like (laughs) yeah halo forge doom quake Far, far cry 5 you know that's that's awesome that those are doing what they're doing um, and it's one of those things where, like, I really, I, I really do hope the industry starts to, you know, see the value in that again because it's it's such an important gateway into actually making your own original content. And I mean, you you run an entire studio based off of that, right? So. <laughs> Just about, yeah. And, and like, I, I 100% agree with you, but I can I can see why, say, with something like Doom Eternal, which people have been 
crying out for you know, proper modding capabilities. I can see both like the commercial implications, like they want to control their IP, they want to that. Okay, yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. We live in a we live in a capitalist society. Blah blah blah. Okay, whatever. Put that to one side, and then there's but there's also a an inverse relation. The more complex an engine, the harder it is to make moddable. So something like a D7, <clears throat> it is. I imagine if you pulled it apart, it would be it would take some time to learn. I have a, I have an incredibly hot take on that. <laughs> Tell me, I'm all for. Okay, so um, I was recently um, I was recently moaning in, in work chat. I posted a picture. There's this um there's this new Call of Duty mod that's in the works called SM2, I think. Right. And I've been I've been like sweating Call of Duty for the past few days, so I was like, okay, I'm interested in all that. What the scenes into at the moment, right? Ew. So um, <laughs> I I love Modern Warfare 2019. I don't know why, but the movement is just so good. Like the the way that the guns handle is just. It's completely different than the games before it, and I'm like, okay, that's a step forward. But I was I was looking at this mod that these people are working on. It's it's, it's like a current in development mod, and slightly higher res textures, better models, all that stuff. But it runs on the Modern Warfare 2 engine, mm. and it has mods. It's like it's all modded, and it, it's about 25% the install size of like the the main uh, Modern Warfare of today. And I'd say it looks about 80 to 90% as good. <laughs> And I'm sitting there, I'm wondering, I'm like, has game development gone in the wrong direction? Where, like, we're going for these diminishing returns on some games that don't need it. So, like, God of War, for instance, mm. needs that. That benefits from the AAA graphics, you know, The Last of Us 2, stuff like that. But, like, Call of Duty, like, people just turn down all the settings and play and mostly get all the high FPS anyway. But, sure, we can have, like, nice graphics. But what I'm wondering is, like, a mod like that that looks almost as good and can run on like hardware that doesn't, it isn't proper modern gaming hardware. Mm. And then there's the new Call of Duty where every time you start it up, your PC your PC goes on fire <laughs> yeah. while it's, it's compiling shaders because mm. they're like we get it slightly more optimized if we do this. And the light maps and the global illumination is mm. so big that it's a hundred gigs. And I, I wonder if it's maybe a trap that we've put ourselves in as an industry as opposed to yeah. an actual inherent problem with modern games. Yeah, no, no, yeah, I think that's probably, it is a, because uh, interestingly, Doom Eternal was smaller than Doom 2016. Uh, and yeah. Like considerably. So they, 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 because they, they optimized it by, instead of doing, using Texas for all their detail, they use decals for a lot of their micro detail. And it looks fucking fantastic. Um, but it the made, entire game yeah, exactly. It's so, do because I so interestingly enough, it, it Tech Seven did take that step into efficiency, whilst looking arguably better. Doom Sixteen obviously still looks fantastic, but yeah. performing on like really low end machines, which they somehow fucked up with all the the patches and since Tag came out, I don't know what they've done to the things to make it perform worse. But the the uh, the um, ship day game when it first came out was incredibly well optimized and I, I had a huge amount of respect for them for going down that path and putting a lot of effort into making a game that does work well on pretty old hardware um, and the tech 6 was also pretty efficient um, uh, uh, when it came out as well um, but yeah is, Doom Eternal was a step above for that there's an entire other branch of that too because like so if you think about so obviously Doom Eternal and, and Doom 2016 or some of the like shining pinnacles of like how can you be efficient and look great? Mm-hmm. You know, like how can how can you have that balance? Um, 
but uh, like the thing that I'm wondering as well is like we spend so much time on on all this. We spend so much GPU resources making the shadow maps slightly higher resolution. No, or that's a very that's very whatever. important. Shadow maps are the most important thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm I'm saying that like so what I'm really excited about is um you know in Unreal we've got now Lumen coming in and we've got um in Godot they've got their SDFGI coming in which is real time global illumination and the first thing that pops to my head is the less that we have to bake the easier it is for us to allow user content generation and the easier it is for users to create lights. You don't have to worry about fill light and you don't have to do all this. And once you can remove lots of the chill chain, so that's what makes it incredibly hard to you know, add mod support to something like an Unreal Engine mm-hmm. game that doesn't rely on the actual Unreal editor because you have to distribute that via the Epic Launcher and it's all closed source. But the reason that that's difficult is because the engine is designed around baking lighting. And there is, you, you can have a lot of real-time stuff, but you can't get it looking quite the same. But now we're getting a lot more of this real-time rendering and we are getting in the um, the kind of less baked kind of graphical enhancements. Um, I'm hoping that that will allow the industry to kind of move back towards allowing user content and modding because now the users can place a prop down and they don't need an entire tool chain of light baking utilities and all this proprietary stuff going on just so they can build a map, you know? Interestingly, um, so I, I'm, uh, sorry, interestingly, uh, GZ Doom's kind of heading the other way. It's bringing in baked lighting, but it's an optional and it's a very easy system to use because it is it does <coughs> it does save a lot on run runtime performance. Um uh, 100%. But the way that it's set yeah. up is just like you pick which lights you want to make baked in your level. And you go, that's now a static bake light. That's a static bake light. It builds as part of the node tree, um, just as your, you know, the standard node building uh, BSP. And, um, and then it's a bake light. So you can, you've got that flexibility to decide where they are, what elements are affected by it, where, yeah, what kind of presentation you want, which areas. Nope, these, I've got things that move here, so I need these to be dynamic lights. Um, so yeah. I think you're right. There's a, there's a sweet spot in the middle between all that of, of you know, allowing the user to, to choose for whatever reason. I think- yeah, performance based. So we go down. Bike lighting. No matter, as long as we provide users with the ability to make content without yeah. many, like barriers to entry, yeah. then ultimately what's going to happen is the same thing that's happened to any game that allows users to mod, uh, mod it. It lives for substantially longer. Yeah, because 100%. there's more. It's, it's a very logical decision to me. It seems like a no brainer. If I was in charge of a studio, that'd be like, yeah, <coughs> priority. You know, definitely. And I think um, you can look at them. Like, uh, Forge, and I think that was the biggest mistake they've ever made. And I think I think the big difference between um, oh sorry, no, that's my I think the big fine. difference. <laughs> yeah, um, I was about to. Say, I think the big difference between um, the the example of like id tech and uh, GZ Doom there, and, and like again, the GZ Doom adding all the big stuff is like super cool. I think the big difference there is one, GZ Doom is entirely open source. Yeah. And two, it's it's a small enough file size that you could just bundle that with your game. Oh, your entire like, tool chain. It's like several is, megabytes. So it's like it's not yeah. like a vendetta against you know baked lighting or whatever because it is because I'm all for as much as I've seen before about us going wasteful in terms of GPU and CPU. There, it's like I'm all for like saving as much performance as possible so it can run on whatever. But like as long as the user has access to those tools, and if exactly. it isn't tenable, so like if modern game engines. Like we're not allowed to distribute an Unreal Editor alongside our our game unless it's through the Epic Launcher, and even then, it's like so it's, it's a custom install and it's hundreds of gigs and stuff like that. As long as that's not the pro, as, as long as that's not the workflow, and it's like you know a hundred megs, you know, or you know even five hundred megs for the entire modding suite, 
then you're you're golden. You know that that that's what I'm hoping will make a comeback. Yeah, like um, I, I think one game you can point at like a modern release um, that has taken advantage in a in a, in a really good way um, is Proteus. Um, so yes, yeah. it is. A, it's still kind of well, retro, yeah. retro shooter category, but they've built their own editor, and then they've sh- they shipped it with the alpha. Like it was yeah. that early that they gave it to people to play with. They they've obviously and deliberately built their like development and community around custom made content, and it's thriving. Like it's it's incredible. They're running competitions, and it's a great way to engage with people and, and keep people excited and keep them keep them playing your game. And um, yeah. it's so interesting, like, if you move outside of the FPS genre, and because I play a lot of, like, 4X games and, and I love RTS <coughs> and ARPGs, there's quite strong modern communities and, like, you know, Stellaris would point to a really good example, or any Paradox game, really, like, massive amounts of very high-quality mods because they've, they've made it that easy to get into. And there's less graphical considerations in terms of those games, but there's still, like, people making incredible art assets to go in these things. And, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, even just, like, the custom skins on Left 4 Dead 2, that kind of stuff, um, you can see very clear examples of games that have leaned into it heavily and they're still incredibly popular today. Um, yeah, 100%. Modding is good. I think, I think <laughs> insane. I just, I, no, I just want to take a second. I mean, like, that game is polished to shit and that map editor being packaged with it is just, like, mm. genius. Oh, the amount of time, like the amount of time I've spent in a call going to Carlos, like God, I wish I could like set something like that up, but like just not having the time to, well, to, to yeah. do something. Like, got to do. Like, Mike is dedicated to that editor. Like I've got a guy, just that's his job. <laughs> it's insane. Like as as a game dev, I'm just in awe, like of, of what they they pulled off there. It's such a such a cool project. I like you know the quality of your work is very much driven by the quality of the tools you've got to make it. Um. So yeah. and yeah, I've, I've been a uh, the Doom community in general has been very um, blessed by uh, Doom Builder and the people that are working on that, and quite same with Trench Broom. You know, you look at the modern stuff that's made with these these old engines or old concepts. It's it's because the tools have improved over time, and there's been that constant work on it. Um, which yeah, I, I can't sing enough praises for the people behind the scenes like working on that stuff because they they don't get much recognition. Um, but they're, they're they're the reason we're here. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I mean. Carlos uses we, we use trench broom in, in sprawl. That's our level editor for the most part. We we set dress in Unreal, but his entire workflow is uh is trench broom. So yeah, hundred uh, percent. That's a nice pivot back to what we're primary here. So so you do you use trench broom as your primary kind of do you use it just for block out or um like I, I make the whole damn level in that thing. I love that tool. You know, I'm, I'm versed enough. Like, I can use 3ds Max, and I and for a while, when we were first starting to work on the game, um, we messed around with the idea of like doing the whole modular mesh thing. And it's just not. I think the reason level design in modern games suffer so much is because their tool chains are so limited as mm. far as like how much they can iterate past a certain point. It's like if you have a block out, then you have to make bespoke assets for this entire block out, and then create the level around that obviously you're going to be limited. Whereas if you're working with brushes mm. or anything else like line depths and, tool, and, and doom or in any other engine, right? If a hallway isn't long enough, you just grab the thing at that, you pull it longer, these <laughs> adjust. And then the whole, the whole process of iterating on this thing is so much easier yeah. and it's so much quicker. You can take this block out and directly texture it and then just add, you know, definition to different shapes and it stuff like that. And it's just so much quicker 
so much more intuitive to at least my brain that likes to be very disorganized and just do things mm. quickly. You know, like when I'm working on music, if it takes me more than two or three hours, it's garbage. Right? <laughs> and, and, and for levels, and the reason I work so quickly with everything that I do with Sprawl is because it has to be mm. everything leading up to this has been about making pipelines that are quick. The whole process needs to be quick and it needs to be iterative or enough where if there's something wrong at the end, I can go back. Yeah. It's not a whole hassle for me to redo something. Trench Room allows me to do that. It's a marvelous tool and, and the people behind it, I think, are incredible. Mm -hmm. And this game would not be happening without it. And I can't stress it enough to anyone that's working on a game to at least give it a shot. It's yeah. it's it's a lot, a lot of fun. It's very easy to work with. And it's just very, very, very intuitive to be like, hey, this room's a little bit short. Boop, you know, instead of like you're in the 3D software. Now I have to grab all the vertices. I need to stretch them out. Then I need to go back. I need to re-UV map it because now the UVs are fucked. And I need to make sure. This is good. And then, oh, it turns out I made it too tall. Now I have to do that again. <laughs> you know, it's just not. Yeah, because I remember watching um, uh, Chris Holden because he, he's got his, his side solo project, Tempt, uh, which is a um, very cool looking game. And just watching because he used to stream. He, he streamed um, work on it a few times and it just looked. It looks great. Like, don't get me wrong. The finished what he's been making looks fantastic, but it just took so long, like to yeah. to just to just finish like detailing and like creating individual like you say individual art assets to to place. Like, I had to go okay, cool. Go make an arch and in, in Blender or whatever, and then bring it into the whatever Unreal Engine editor he was using and place it and check it out. Oh no, it's not quite the right size. And you go back to your your model editor to resize it, and then you got to give it a mesh. And okay, cool. Now I've got an asset that I can place everywhere, but it's the same asset. It's not going to change. I can't stretch it or change its shape and size as needed. I'd go, go, go make a new one. Um, and it's just like, it's like, cool. Unreal Engine's kind of cool, but I don't want to work like this. <laughs> um, Cause like you, I, like, I want to be able to just mess things around. Like I just want to make like a cool little detailed arch and then I'm going to put it here and then I'm going to build this, this hallway and then I'm going to make this taller. No, shorter. No, but wider. Let's see, you know, um, and obviously, brushes are a lot more limited than than you guys have in in Doom. You know, you, there, there's you, you have to be on grid shit like that. So there's still yeah. limitations. To what we're it's doing. still pretty it's not perfect. damn flexible though. Um, the, it's the very damn flexible, and it's a lot of fun to do. And and based on someone that knows, I I, I probably know how to use Max better than I know how to use Trench Room. I, like I learn a lot about working with brushes every time. And as you play the game, you'll see that I get better. Mm. You know, it's, it's it's quite apparent, but. I still think that it's much quicker for me to learn this tool and learn how to work with it and continue to work with it as my primary level design tool, set dress in Unreal by making bespoke props and mm. stuff like that, which, you know, it's just like, okay, I have some pipes here. Yeah, That's yeah, it. Yeah. Right. But the bulk of the map, I want to say like 80% of what you see in the level is going to be brushes that get imported by via Hamur into Unreal Engine. Mm. Yeah, like, you know, the end product, you can't, it's not like you can tell Office was made in Trench Room. <laughs> like, it doesn't feel like a game made in an old editor, like, you know, same with Graven, um, or, um, uh, you know, Wrath, um, uh, you know, um, although I say Wrath does feel like it has more of its roots on display, but, you know, Sprawl, definitely, you don't walk through it thinking like, this is made on Trench Room. It, it, it feels like, uh, you know, a Unity or a Unreal Engine game, um, like, in, a, in, a, in a good way. It's, you know, the end product is... is nicely cohesive and polished and it's not like you've got here's a blandly textured wall and a model slapped in front of it and you can tell that like, they're created in different programs because yeah. the texturing doesn't match you know resolution wise and all that kind of stuff so you've done a good job to to bring together that you know final product in a nice cohesive fashion 
Um, a lot of effort into keeping my taxal density like one to one with like, yeah. like <laughs> you know, like I, like it's it's uh, I'm being a hundred percent serious. Like I, the amount of times that I'll resize things or make sure like you know like my import process is perfect as far as like the the, the quote unquote brush geometry is always mm-hmm. going to be one to one with everything. Um, but you know, with props and stuff like that, I'm very cognizant of like you know making sure that I get it as close to possible so it doesn't feel like it's a prop slapped on top of a brush yeah, it yeah, feels definitely. like it's one cohesive piece of geometry Mm-mm. no i think you've, i think you've nailed that um one of the things with uh with with sprawl that you know it's quite striking uh the first time you play it and um uh you know in the you, you mentioned that this was kind of where you started and it's the it's the movement code um and you've got this this I'm always a bit skeptical about things like wall running all and mantling all those kind of jumps in it because it can it can feel either too tricky, like too many buttons to press, or or clunky in the terms of the way you interact with things. But Sprawl has absolutely nailed it, um, and it's become it is you know it's a very defining characteristic. Um, Fucking what, Hannah sold me on this shit. I was almost done with my Quake mod, and she was like, "Play this." <laughs> he was, he was, I, was, I think he said, "Play Grey Room for an hour, just running on walls and trying." Because I am so fucking competitive and so. Like insanely, like I when I like something, I'm obsessive. You know, my my latest one is like fucking Halo Infinite, and I, I swear to God, I'm one of the best players on Earth right now. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm cracked. I dropped 34. He sends me at three in the morning. I'll be like asleep in bed, and he'll send me a screenshot of like his score screen. He'll be like, "I'm fucking cracked. I should go pro." <laughs> I'm like, thanks for that, dude. Yeah. I'm serious, but to but but to like circle back on that point. She sent me this fucking movement demo, and I played around in it, and I'm not joking. There's nothing to do. It's just a gray room. Mm. It's a gray room platform and, like, this weird wireframe, uh, like, uh, sphere, and then, like, one little ledge. And I just ran around that room for an hour, just jumping off shit. I'm like, this is... I'm in. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. like, the, the movement felt great, and, like, I had always... I never resonated too hard with Titanfall because it always felt like it's like you're either on the floor or on the wall and it's like two different states. Whereas like it just it literally feels like you're smoothly walking onto the wall and then can jump off. And there's so much like emergent like gameplay that I can see coming out of that. For sure. You know, where players can instill what you know what their personality type is into that the actual movement of the game you want to play passive and only use it a little bit no you want to fucking jump off this wall do a 360 and all this other shit like you can just do that mm. and it doesn't yeah. hinder you yeah and like it's it's, i think that's a good point sorry uh, Ember. Um, no, no, go, go. <laughs> that that idea that you flow between the surfaces really smoothly it's not like i'm on the ground or i'm in the air or i'm on the wall like it's not a it's not a, a binary or a you know selective state it's just everything is an option and there's this beautiful yeah. kind of fluidity to the various surfaces um, that you can that you can interact with. Um, sorry, yeah, say? for sure. I mean, it's, it's it's one of the the big things for me is like um, one blurring that line between you know where am I on the wall, when am I off the wall. Um, obviously, you want to give some proper feedback. You know, when are you connected? When are you not? But um, I was finding games, you know, like Mirror's Edge and Titanfall, and you know all all the greats that that do feel great when you get into it and you play them you kind of have to learn what you're allowed to do on the wall, right? Because it's like, well, which walls can I attach to? Oh, you have to yes. be very specifically set up this way. And you know, what, what can I do on the wall? Like, oh, well, if you turn this direction, then you'll disconnect. If you you, like, you do perform X, Y, or Z action, you'll disconnect. Um, with Sprawl's movement, it was very much a case of I wanted everything to be analog, mm. right? So, like, if you're standing next to a wall and you're not moving, there's very little magnetization to the wall because it feels like 
it, it, it doesn't want to to pull control away from you. Mm. But if you run at a wall or like you're running alongside a wall and your movement speed is very fast, so you, you jump next to a wall, it will suck you in because mm. it's like, okay, okay, like action is going on. You want as much help as possible. Mm. And there's nothing stopping you from well attached to that wall doing a 360. Mm. So it's like, it's not like you're, you're attached like this to the wall. It's like a, oh, I'm attached by my back or I'm attached by my front. And then it allows for you to attach to a wall turn around, shoot at the thing chasing you, mm. or uh, jump off and shoot at the thing below you, connect to something else. And um, I think one of the big things that, you know, that box room was so fun about was that you could, there was areas set up where you could like jump, do a 180 before you hit the wall and then tic-tac off of it onto something else and you'd be able to get slightly higher. If you do this very specific like backwards tic-tac off of a wall and it's like, Oh, that's because like the rules are very clear. Mm. If you're next to a wall and you're moving, you'll get a little bit of an impulse towards the wall, which gives you extra speed, and you can use that to boost off and do something else. It's none of this like you have to be at the wall and also like facing the correct direction and everything like that. So it was it was very much designed around like creative freedom for the player, and basically, if you think you can attach to something, you can. Mm. If if you think. Yeah, it's not like, it's like, it's not like specific surface types, like, you know, say like Jim Eternal, where it's like, you can climb on this thing, come and climb yeah. on the thing, it is progression, you must climb on it. You're never, <laughs> never going to get that moment yeah. where, like, you jump at a wall and you don't connect. Yeah. Like, if you jump at a wall, you stick to it. Mm. And if you let go of the movement key, like, you, you won't get sucked in. Yeah. And if you, if you pull off of it, you disconnect at a certain point. It's like... There's no states. It's all like the actual code for it is, is quite analog. It's all done using like different weights of like, what is your current state? How much should I, you know, tilt you? How much should I connect you? How much should I push you off? And because it feels something, it feels like it's coded inherently to the player rather than the surface. Like it's something yeah. in your player, then your player code, like this is how the player interacts with everything in the game. Like, yes, no, there, there is no, there is no, there is no wall. Stop, you can, stop. you can walk. We have an enemy uh, that you can slide. Um, you can slide <laughs> um, off through like the legs of a of an enemy. We've got like really cool like collision and stuff. But that enemy is now large enough that you know if if he's standing still, you can you can wall run on the enemy. You can take tack on the enemy. <laughs> like, that's actually that a the thing you can do. <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, 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 no. We've got a larger, an even larger, but big boy. Yeah, but, think like the ogre, but like four or five times as tall. <laughs> I love it. You can do that on the fucking ogre too. I do that shit all the time. That's how I bait him into like, sh- like trying to slap mm-hmm. your shit. Feel this, blow it up in his face. I love that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, and that, like, by having that, like, non-specific, like, directed use cases, you do get that like Im- amazing emergent gameplay. And and yeah, you know, I think um. You know, you can see games like Doom Eternal and the amount of emergent gameplay that's come from there with specific yeah. use cases, the way people use the, the hook to, like, never touch the ground. Um, yep. uh, like, that kind of stuff. It, it's clear that there's a market for that that upper echelon of, of skill. People are going to keep playing and keep getting better and, and, and taking that challenge to see, what the fuck can I actually do? Every, every single successful game, in my opinion, has always, always... I'm talking about the standout ones, the ones that live for a long time have always, always, always had an emphasis, either intentional or non-intentional on emerging gameplay. Mm. That is the number one contributing yep. factor to a game being successful for a long period of time. What's because it, because it, it replays it extends its lifespan, yeah. so does emerging gameplay because you keep figuring new ways to do shit out. There's dude, 
I, I can sit here and talk about this shit forever. Smash Bros. <laughs> fucking Melee is still popular 22 years yeah. later because there's so much complexity to its systems and all unintentional, by the way, hmm. that it's outlived all of its sequels. Yeah, that's insane. Same reason, and then and so many other games. I'd put emergent gameplay as a part of a modding scene because part of emergent gameplay in that sense is finding new ways to use enemies, new new combat setups. Like that's that's a form of emergent gameplay yeah. driven from the creator. And you look at yeah. like even like Doom vanilla maps, like using this actually the same engine with the same limitations and the kind of shit people can come up with with that, like exploiting weird engine hacks to do crazy shit, um, and that. Yeah, I think those two things go hand in hand, and that's that's why you know with Doom Eternal, while it doesn't have that modding scene, although there's still a, there's a couple of things that have extended, like Proti uh, does does amazing work with his crazy mods. Um, it's got that emergent gameplay element that keeps people replaying it um, because they they, yeah. they can go faster, they can they can kill quicker, and they can they can do more crazy shit, um, and the experience changes for them because of that because of that growth. Um, yeah, and, and yeah. It, it allows to insert part of their personality into their gameplay too you know exactly. that's why in fight combos are named after the player that discovered it you know mm-hmm. in the same way that you know someone in sprawl that's going to figure out to do this like weird fucking wall run sort of glitch not really <laughs> like you know like oh the, the you know fucking whatever the, the whatever his name is going to be like it, it's, it's insane and a big big driving core philosophy um behind the game design for sprawl has always been emerging gameplay yeah. we find something fun that we weren't expecting 99% of the time we're going to leave it in the game because that just like our, our, the way that we want to design this game is just a giant sandbox. And we're going to give you a bunch of tools and be like, have fun. Yeah. Figure it out. I I don't care. Oh, you broke the map. Totally. That's awesome. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Welcome to the glitch, welcome to the glitch, the glitch, uh, the glitch any percent run. (laughs) The number of times I find like escape or something, or, or like we discover some like weird, like play of like you, slide shotgun and jump in the exact mm. same frame or something and it'll launch you across the map and we're just like just leave it that'll be really I've seen fun that so many time, like, clips, like, clips of dude eternal on twitter like someone just like yeeting themselves into the stratosphere and it's just like this is fun <laughs> like it it so it can be annoying like say something with doom eternal with the hedge and ultra nightmare mode try not to die like if that happens on your run that could be frustrating but i think broadly speaking those kind of glitches Add character and are, and are fun, and I love playing janky. Yeah, like, old, janky you know, old I say ninety percent of the time because if it's a ten percent one where it happens too often and it's like gonna, you know, it's unpredictable. It's weird. Yeah, if it happens accidentally happen. a lot, that's when I think you're reaching. This is now a bug. But if it's like it, but if deliberate player action can lead to this. <laughs> yeah, that's weird as well. Like if it's inconsistent, like we try and get rid of anything like that. It's like not, not actually deterministic. If it's really hard to pull off, sure. But if it's one of those like. We do think about speedrunners, like when I we're making the game. Could like, be quite a big part of Sprawl. It's one of those things where we're like, "Will this be fun if someone has like a ten percent chance and they have to do this every time? They have to try it out." It's not like like so. There's two levels of that. If what if it happens accidentally, and then you're like, "Okay, that kind of sucks. We should get rid of that." But there's also like the element mm-hmm. of like. If they're trying to if do this, how easy is it to do? Mm. If I was a speedrunner, would I want to deal with this or would I want to focus on like the actual tech, mm. you know? Um, and that's like one of the things we think about. And obviously we're not going to get everything. We're not going to squash every bug. We're not going to get rid of every little annoying thing. But it's it's one of those things where we really do think about it. And it's mm. one of those things where like 
you know, Carlos plays this game on loop. Like, yeah, like yeah, I think, <laughs> I, I don't, I, yeah, I just, I like, he's, he's insane at it. He plays it on loop. He, he's finding new tech all the time. And it's going to be really exciting to see what happens when, you know, it's thousands of people playing it, like hopefully. And we'll just know, see yeah. what kind of comes out. As obsessed as, as Carlos might be in any dev of their own game, they are, they will not find anything anywhere near the amount of stuff that the community will. Like when you just iterate what, what Carlos is doing, oh, times that by a thousand different people, it's going to be crazy. Um, I'm so excited. I cannot wait to see some guy pull off some shit that I had no idea was yeah. possible or do something that I know is possible, but I can't get it consistently yeah. and they're always doing it. I would be like, that's my... <laughs> it's like, that's you my are a god. Yeah. Right there. I think... <laughs> We're, we're going to know he succeeded at game devs when someone's able to log into a server and just wreck Carlos at multiplayer. Yeah. Like, looking forward to that. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. No fucking <laughs> There's going like to be someone. There's going to be someone. Three oh. months after release, there's going to be someone that's just dunking on you. And you can't. It's going to be a thing. Well, okay, you're going to get really upset. You're going to nerf whatever they're doing to win. The great thing is, no. this is all recorded and live, and there are witnesses, so uh, we can note this time in this place. Carlos says that it'll never happen. You can beat me and sprawl a thousand bucks. There we go. Open challenge. <laughs> you're being cut out. He's, he's not even joking. He's not even joking. Oh, look at his face. That is a man. That is a very serious man. <laughs> I'm being serious. I'm, I'm way too good at games. You, you people don't know shit. You people don't know shit. <laughs> I love this flex. This is amazing. Uh, fantastic. I should clarify. He hasn't even played this for a multiplayer. Yeah, this is this is a straight up. He just knows. So that, no. the, the, the trick is that deliver me for a multiplayer, so it'll never happen. <laughs> nah, we'll get, we'll get a play test up soon. That's going to be cool. Shit. I, like, you're going to see me go 30 and 0, and then you're never going to want to play Sprawl multiplayer again with me. I'm used to having uh, getting spanked in Doom, so. Um, although I've gotten better. Um, <laughs> no, no, I think Sprawl will lend itself. The game, that gameplay is like, Deathmatch, I want to shoot people. It's going to be fun. Um, what's, what's this? Uh, someone in Twitch chat saying, I beat you in Reach, I can beat you in Sprawl. Who said that? <laughs> oh, that was that, you know, never happened. Never happened. Never, happened. Just, never fucking happened. It's his favorite pastime to just make shit up about games we used to play and just be like, "Oh yeah, I beat you." It's never happened. It's like my, never dad, happened. my dad can beat up your dad. <laughs> um. So, with regards to that movement system, um, were there any? Have there been any challenges? Like any like unexpected? Like oh shit, how are we going to fix this kind of moments? Um, the map design really does need to take it into account. You've got two, you've got two wall runs, um, and each of them fire you up as well as, you know, um, switching to the side. So, um, it's, the the map design definitely does need to take it into account. And I thought this was going to be a much bigger problem than it was. Mm Um, I mean, as well, because part of that, we've got, uh, you know, we've, we've got a shotgun jump. So one of the big things that we... One of the big things that me, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm good at FPS games, but I'm not, I'm not cracked. I'm not like insane. <laughs> yeah. So I'm one of these people who like, I like, I like Counter-Strike. I play Counter-Strike and I love it because everything that I can do is just, there's, there's no downside to the movement tech really. But um, something that Carlos loves and something that I like the idea of is like rocket jumping. So he used to play mm-hmm. the shit out of like Team Fortress 2 rocket jumping. And like, I see all like the, the Quake 3, uh, like, <laughs> all the quick three races and stuff like that that are going on but the thing that i can't get over is i'm wasting health yeah exactly that's why i hate rocket like, like, i'm just like i'm just like this is really cool as like a concept but like we're wasting health here so i was like right well how do we solve this i was like Shotgun i know 
big fucking shotgun. Yeah, and that's like yeah. the, the first thing. Like I think literally the first game. Like yeah, like it was it was either the first or the second gun we implemented was like a double barrel shotgun. And like I was like. Shotgun. First gun was the pistol, and then I ported over the the, the sprawl shotgun, and I told you that I had, I had gotten the janky ass rocket jumping working in the in the in the dark places. Uh, dark, what the fuck is the engine? Dark places. Dark, yeah, dark places. Yeah, yeah. The dark, the dark places version of sprawl. I was like, hey, I got the thing to rocket jump. Can you do that? <laughs> you were like, I can do it better, <laughs> yeah. and you fucking did. And that was the first thing that we did that wasn't just like switch out the model on your pistol, but like a brand new weapon. Yeah, you know. It was just me porting over that asset and then giving it new animations. And then just, I spent another two hours just in that gray box, just jumping around with it. <laughs> yeah. Great. I love this. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those things. It's like, there's, there's some really cool tech here as well with the, with the shotgun jumping, because when you jump off of a wall, you still have that little bit of pullback towards the wall. Mm. So we, we, we launch you with some force off the wall. Right. So we're like, you're jumping off the wall. Boom. Right. Mm. And um, what you can actually do is, um, while you still, uh, while those are still fighting from each other, like the the wall uh, disconnect and the wall we pulling, and we could have fixed this by just having the wall like um, pull in force, have a delay on it whenever you jump off. But um, if you fire the shotgun immediately after doing that, the shotgun breaks you out of the range of the wall pulling. And then you've got all this force that it hasn't mm. leached off anymore. <laughs> so like it's super fast. Like if it, it's like you can yeah you can jump off the wall and then shotgun jump to get more range. But if you want to go really fast, you jump and shotgun immediately and you just go flying. And it's <laughs> it's super cool. Like, it's not as jank as you think, but it's those kind of like every time we added something to the system because we didn't put limits on how it worked. Like it's not a pre-canned jumping off the wall animation. Mm. Or like a curve, looks like lots of game devs will like have some sort of curve where it's like, you know, this is how we want you to disconnect, and then we can tweak it and tweak the arc and everything. We we just put in some values and went that feels about right. Like that fe- that feels when you jump up, that's the right amount of snap to mm-hmm. it. So then everything else has to be driven by, oh, we're putting this much force into you, so we need to compensate by this much. Mm-hmm. Um, that. Every time we, it just means that every time we've added something like that, that you know, new movement and new ideas have came from it, and it's. Well, it means if like it's, if, it's if you've coded things like individual actions <coughs> to, to act in a way that you that you think is fun, it means you can you can layer them, or the player can layer them. So you can take that yeah. shotgun jump code, and the wall jump code, lay them over the, those two events over the top, and they stack. And how that works out, well, you don't know until you try it. And yeah, yeah, I can see like that yeah. that shotgun speed boost off a wall jump being particularly devastating in deathmatch like all of a sudden the play the player game it's just over there now like and is you know lining up a shot on you and i think you'll i, I do think that that's speed running and yeah i think multiplayer is where you'll see a lot of those emergent yeah, um, elements like really really coming out and, you know, like you say carl's just people going to just mastering these these new tricks um i'm super i'm super excited to see where the skill ceiling's at because like a lot of the game like the slow-mo Mm. It's like, yes, it's cool, it's cinematic, it's cool for lining up headshots, but I added slow-mo to the movement demo because I was shit at movement and aiming. <laughs> I was like, that gives me, like, and like the game, we were balancing the game to be hard with the slow-mo. Like, like you now, like, the, the one of the core game mechanics is like, you have to pop heads. Like, you have to pop heads to get resources to stay alive. Um, otherwise, you're going to run out of ammo mm. um, and hit weak points, things like that. So we've kind of balanced the game in response to that. But what's going to be super interesting is the multiplayer. 
because there's no slow mo in the multiplayer. Yeah, I was going to say, you're gonna, how are you going to work with that multiplayer? But yeah, I'd, I'd assume that you'd remove it because it's a pretty tricky mechanic to fold into multiplayer. Yeah, we're still we're still toying with ideas about what to do with that right click, what to do with that you know secondary fire. Do we have some sort of different because like the, the multiplayer is going to. I want to parry bullets, dude. I'd say, say I'd say parry parrying is fun. Um, it can be. It's a tough one to balance to like because um there's a Doom deathmatch mod called Insanity that we play that you can parry with with a sword you can parry weapons and it does make the player very hard to hit <laughs> um so having enough of a delay and and, and tweaking that kind of stuff that the, you don't make immortal um bullet parriers but um I think I think a parry could work quite well well if you know just every now and then like knock field, some, some shit like a, yeah. a parry would be fun more than I can make it feel like a fighting game almost like the, the I, I think that's how you make it work in my opinion you know some sort of shield something that comes well, the sword, up that, the like, the sword's you got awesome. to balance it with something else I, I think that would be great but we'll figure it out at some point obviously I think more stuff for the sword that's cool like yeah like, more make, sword more swords more sword stuff like put on a yeah, mode more sword. Put on a, hey, hey if you put a parry and you could put a game mode in where you just get the sword you gotta kill everyone with your sword <laughs> oh, hey, we, we, we actually have a whole like the, the sword used to be its own item I'm not sure if you remember I'm not sure if you were in that early but uh, we used to have our own like you used to just run with the sword out if you press one you get the sword Yes, and yeah, that was used for yeah. finishing off enemies. So, like, you'd be running around, you'd get them into the, the hit stun, glory mm-hmm. kill state. Press one, you'd switch to it, and then you'd hit them with it. And like, okay, that's kind of cool, but we we're like, okay, it needs to be faster. We got a key. So we've got a model that, like, a really beautiful model that Carlos has put together. That all you see is, shing, shing. like, you get like three frames of animation out of it. So, like, it'd be really cool to have something in multiplayer where you can just parry or something like that. But it. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not devote. I'm not. Not. What's what's the word? I'm not promising that to to be the thing. Um, there's a bunch of different ways. That we'll we'll have to have a think about uh, how to do that and see how see how it actually is playing out. Yeah, like um, I said, it's a shame to leave leave that asset on the you know barely seen. Um, and because I, I we did something similar with Age to Hell, we were just like, oh, Mr. Cat just decided like. Mm. It's like a hammer mode, and it's like it turns out to be this awesome thing. So I, I could see, I could see, see a sword mode uh, being pretty. It's crazy. It's crazy how how much like such random things can become like the oh. the icon of your thing, right? That's because exciting. like that's what <laughs> it is. is it's crazy because like I think Age of Hell. I think I think the hammer. Like that's mm. the thing I remember from like I played the demo, like, and like the the thing that I remember most. I remember spawning in. I remember that starting area, and I remember the hammer. Yeah. And it's crazy how it just it just comes from like someone has an idea, and it's just Let, let's try this, and it just sticks. Well, because I always wanted to. Because one thing, one thing I've always felt with with FPS games is like you get that power creep of weapon pickups, and all of a sudden, like your starting stuff is no longer relevant, and that's that's kind of fine. And some game more, games have gotten better at making sure weapons stay useful, like with Doom Eternal with its various mods and and stuff to, for the guns. Um, <laughs> sprawl all the weapons are fun to use um and, and a part of that is making sure they're all fun to use not just if, uh, effective and one thing i was like i want to make sure that we've got a decent melee weapon and i like hammers this you don't see war hammers very often in in uh in shooter games and it's like well how can we make this thing useful and and fun to use and and you know um first we built like the power-up system around uh, specifically for the hammer and then yeah like it was like a like literally a, a week before the demo went public and mr cat was like I made a dedicated hammer mode <laughs> with upgrades. It's like, what? <laughs> it's like, give it a shot. It's like, this is awesome. Um, 
so like I, it was always kind of like and I a front and center concept that I wanted the hammer to be fairly iconic but other than that everything's kind of like back to that concept of emergent gameplay kind of emergent yeah. development and I think that's that's a really fun thing to experience uh, and, it and is it's crazy, just things come out of nowhere, like mid-development, that, that completely change the game. Like, one of the most recent things that we had, I'm not sure if you, again, like, if you were around for the the uh, the sword, you were around for the AI that all decided to go single file and take the same routes and, and bunch yeah, up. Yeah, I think I did see that, we, yeah. We, we had a bunch of problems with that, and, like, it was there was a lot of, like, oh, well, they do have different guns, and they look different, but, like, they don't really, like, they can't really like compete with you right because you have you have this wall running and we're just like i think it was like sometime two or three months ago we we're just like what if we give them jetpacks and we're just kind of like no we're like no that would no way that would work like I was, like, like we have a checkbox now on enemies and any enemy in the game doesn't matter what it is mm. on the spawner you click has jetpack nice it has a jetpack and it can it can reach you and it, it, it is the coolest thing in the world to like have like because the thing is it's like it's not even like now they're pressuring you more right because the, there is like the element of now they're pressuring you they can get where you where you get they can follow you to the ends of the earth and um, you can you can split them up so that half the enemies have them and then like mm. a few do like a few don't that creates two separate pools of enemies and then also there's nothing cooler than just like taking out a group of enemies on the floor turning around yeah. seeing an enemy in the sky and just skeet shooting them out the air and just like gone dead mm. and it's just like it's so cool and we've like things like we can um if you if you've got any of the weapons that can uh, shoot weak spots mm. um or any of the kind of accurate weapons um you can shoot the jetpacks on an enemy and it just blows them up mm. so if you can get behind an enemy that's a free kill it's it's like super emerging gameplay that we were just like just in, in a call one day and we're just like dude what if we just gave them jetpacks would that work jetpacks? yeah <laughs> yeah and it just completely changed the game for us it's it's insane and i think it's gonna be one of the things that are going to be remembered as like kind of unique yeah because um like one of the important well one of the things i think is important in terms of like um encounter design is is creating uh different points of pressure but also different points for the player to focus on if they're looking in this if they're always running around and looking forward the whole time you're not quite doing your job, I don't think. Uh, and, you know, talk about the classic, you know, Serious Sam, Circle Strafe, run around, all bad, badly made Doom Slaughter is also guilty of that. Um, so having your, yeah. your jetpack, it's not just a different threat point, it's another, it's a different point to aim for the player. So, and, you know, with that slow-mo, encouraging the player to change targets quickly while you're using your, you know, that limited resource, um, you know, it's it's an objectively yeah good decision <laughs> well that's yeah it's one of those things as well where like early on in the the games levels like the first few levels we have a, a few instances of you know choppers coming in and enemies pouring out the choppers or them jumping down from scaffolding above you or falling and it, it never really it you can only pull that off so many times you know uh, and it's one of those things where we're like well, how are we going to keep doing this because mm. we can we can spawn enemies in um mid fight and then and trigger them and sure and then we can have them we can have them fall down on you and stuff but like having the jetpacks just gives like enemies can come from anywhere yeah yeah, yeah. right so like you'll notice in sprawl you never see an enemy spawn mm. like that's like one of the big things it's always monster closets like we, we can spawn in real time so you don't have the the same problem that the original quake had where you had to have monster closets specifically in the design but one of our things you know like you're fighting in an area a garage door comes out and they all pour out and yeah, they're like yeah. another 
uh, SWAT, uh, SWAT squad. Um, but it just opens up like new creativity for even the level design or, and like how, how can we plan an encounter? It's, it's crazy. And it's one of those things where like, it's just options. And, and Carlos is, is in like, he's like, he's a, he's a tinkerer, right? You, put, you can put together the Mona Lisa from like <laughs> macaroni or something. Like it's like, oh. so like one of, one of the key things is like, uh, what like they keep coming back to is that, um, all of the switches and sprawl are doors. Cause I gave him we, a button. We need to have, we need to have words about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, 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 for, for sure. It's, it's like one of these things. She hasn't done it. <laughs> no, it, it works. It works. I hate him for it, but like, um, the, uh, I, I gave him a button um like entity to to work with and he's like oh it doesn't have all the interact it doesn't have like i want to have a like nice curve for it to move and do all the things it's like i know what has all those options doors <laughs> so he's just made he's made every switch a door and it, like it's genius right because it's like it, it is it embodies like that whole thing of like every time we hey, have a slight if it ain't broke tool don't fix it don't fix it yeah if it, if, exactly. if it works it's not stupid <laughs> Um, uh, no, it, it it is it's awesome. I'm just regretting the day when like I have to make a like a change to that entity that makes it work better as a door, but stops it working as a switch. Oh, <laughs> uh, like, like I remember, like we had a we had a it hat. moves up and down. What what the <laughs> fuck do you have to do to a door to make it work more like a door? Name one. Thing. That's how you know. That's how, that's how you know he's not a, a game dev like for, as a profession. Yeah. What do you need to do to make a door work? Fuck out of here! Famously known as the worst problem for game developers is doors. It is, it it is the most common editing question in, in Doom. Is like, how do I make a door work? It's like it's four lines and one action. It works. It, it works now. What I'm saying is that what, what, what do you need to change about it? Maybe I don't things. know. Something I don't know. If I knew, if I knew that, I would have done it originally. Yeah, it works fine. Um, but um, it, it's just a really good example of like you know you milking every little possibility out of out of features you know um, yeah, i think that's yeah. another aspect of what the doom the, the modding community does really great and it, it's indicative well, it's like, of his background it's taking something from like outside of its original intended use case and doing something completely different with it um yeah and like and exploiting you know quote-unquote bugs in the system to to make new shit um and because you know, if you don't if you don't know how to code like and you're making a quake mod yeah you just have you, you just have to make do with what's there. I don't know how to go. <laughs> yeah. But like it's just, like the the dynamic music system we've got. Um, I I added an option. So obviously to like control it, we needed to be able to hook it into our trigger. So we have an entity that, when signaled, will change your your track. Mm-hmm. Um, like your your current loop. So obviously I was like, oh, this is really cool. He can like um he can tie it into like when you kill an enemy, it can change and play like a little drum fill or something like that. It's it's really cool in that regard. But this guy, he set up like these these crazy networks. I'm like, what's that? What's that for? And it's all these delays and counters and like relays and translators. I'm like, what the hell is that? He's like, that's a song. <laughs> like, well, what is it? He's like, well, because if if you just stay in the same area and you're playing the same like loop over and over again, it gets old. So I'm counting here to four, and then I'm signaling the thing to change to the next part of the song. I'm counting from here. That's I'm great. changing it over. And then, like, if you kill a guy over here, it increases this counter. And if you kill enough guys, it plays this special, like, That's crazy, cool. like, it's it's super cool. But, like, I was just like, oh, well, I'll add, the, I'll add the, the slot for him to be able to signal this music change just so he can attach it to triggers and killing enemies and stuff. But he's, he's built this whole, like, yeah. 
sequencer. It's like a logic, a logic tree out of the music. <laughs> it's insane. Um, and it's just, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome to it's see him work. You're, no two players are going to get the same sequence as far as the song goes. It's mm-hmm. always going to sound different. You know, they're going to get their own experience as far as like what loops end up triggering in what order or, you know, just just in general, like it won't break. It'll always feel like it's like one continuous song. And a lot of people give me this comment where like I didn't even realize the music was dynamic. I didn't. I did the best job possible because when I play Doom Eternal and I'm a fucking musician, mm. the only reason I realized that the game music was dynamic was because there was one loop that it wasn't in four four, right? Just a music term, it, it, like like you know, it, it was like four five or something like that. And I was like, wait a second, like, why does that just? Match. Oh, yeah. why did the time the video, change? It's yeah. insane because I had never seen a system that actually could count mm. and keep a tempo and was sample accurate. Yeah, the three, you know, horsemen of the apocalypse, basically for any audio engineer, <laughs> those three things and. Doom Eternal, Doom 2016, being able to do that was super inspiring for that same reason. And so, you know, Sprawl 110% was about like, mm. you know, like like getting it's there, but you're not going to notice it until I tell it's like it. It's like a really good baseline. You don't know notice it's there until it's gone kind of thing. Like it's it's underneath everything, holding the glue that holds everything together. And if it's doing its job well, you, you don't really pay, listen. You don't really notice it unless you pay attention to it. And like yeah. game music's like that. You don't want the game music to be overriding everything like the only thing the player here is like you know sound design is a much more complex thing than that so you know you want it to be noticeable when you need it when you got that little like like you glory killer demon and doom eternal and there's a little like, bling, bling, you know something like that um to yeah. highlight these actions but generally it's it's very much uh you know uh, something that blends the experience together um so if yeah you've got that dynamicism and people are just uh, noticing that they're just enjoying it then yeah 100 percent. that's that's the sweet spot and I got I got super lucky with it too because I think we started uh, sprawl on like four twenty four or four twenty five version of Unreal, and um, at a time so Carlos was like, oh yeah, we need to do this music system. I was like, yeah, no problem, I'll work it out. And then um, obviously, uh, you know, it's easier to do stuff in C. You know, you was having issues with Quake C, like not being able to queue up the music in time and do all this. So I was like, yeah, it'll be no problem. Um, and then I forgot that, you know, the audio runs in a different thread and it's really hard to synchronize. So occasionally I'd be missing samples here and there. And I could I could have got it look really close, but I was like, oh no, how am I going to do this? I need to do And I put it off, put it off. And then 426, like the, the exact next version of Unreal, they released the Quartz system, mm-hmm. which allows you to like tap into the audio thread and queue stuff up ahead of time. And right. it's one of those like... It's it's a brand new feature in Unreal. Like it was, it's it's very new to the engine. I think it's still in beta or still in preview, even in Unreal Five, and that's what's allowed us to do it to be able to hook into the audio thread like that. Um, so I think we're we're literally probably going to be the first game that's able to do that. Um, like the the way that we've done it, you know, um, like, like a lot of games. Yeah, like Carlos said, there's, it's just rare in games in general to have that. Um, yeah. It's a really hard problem to solve because audio is done in chunks, right? So, like, to actually have like straight up, um, you know, mixing in real time, like not mixing but um, sequencing in real time. Yeah. Um, and like making sure it's on, you know, the the game timekeeping's matching up with the music timekeeping, and like, because there's been dabbling in, into that kind of thing with Jeezy Doom, and it's it's 
so far proved essentially impossible. Partly because when you pause the game, the music plays in the menu, um, <laughs> so it just completely ruins all your all your all your sequencing. But like having that, yeah, that yeah. responsiveness to make sure that it, you know almost like no matter when the player does that action, the music then changes on a beat to make sure it's not just chopping yeah. and changing and in a distracting, discombobulating way. Um, yeah, sample accuracy in, in audio is just something that's in general difficult, mm-hmm. you know. And sample accuracy means it's like it's going to happen at different, like based on what your tempo is and everything, it's never going to be like super consistent. It's always going to be at like a, a millisecond of a millisecond. It's just like you have to, because if there's even a slight gap in between the two audio things, something happens where you hear a pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. silence, it almost implies yeah. a transient. Transient's like the very first part of like any sort of hit, whether it's a drum, a guitar, anything like mm-hmm. that. So it's just like you're going to, no matter how untrained your ear is, you're going to hear that. You're going to hear that. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna fucking take you out of the experience. Hence, so hence everyone uses fades. Most games have like three audio tracks running at once, right? They have like the bass line, like this is kinda cool, this is going on. And then um like they just layer layers of intensity based off of mm. you know what's going on and they can fade that in and out. And it's it's super cool and it works awesome. Um but yeah, I guess we're just trying to be experimental with it and it, it seems to be working. hundred oh, percent um, the music. I mean um, you know, your your chosen genre isn't isn't normally my cup of tea. Um, but um I think the music's fan- fantastic. Like um especially my favorite's still that that nightclub scene. Um and, oh, yeah. uh, where you walk into that area and the the, the new track kind of you know, layers over the top and it's it's a much more driving, you got the red lights pop popping yeah, before, before you even walk in you just you hear just, like yeah, just, it's, it's so I love that moment. Eh? It's like this is this Dude, is I've cool. DJed more nightclubs and I can't even fucking count at this <laughs> point. I've played like, like like that that entire experience you see there is just like yeah. It's just it's like, just not like, like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like from the DJ booth, if you go out in the booth, there's CDJs yeah, out yeah, there. Like, oh, the detailing in that area is so good. Control the music from the CDJs, like in six months when I have some time. Like, I, I swear, like oh, that's be, that's on my list. Do it. Um, <laughs> so that, that's a that's a nice little segue into the, the next kind of question is, um, like from a more more from an actual in the game, what's presented to the player perspective, um, and uh, ostensibly what. What I like to talk about the most is is, is the, the level design and the visual presentation, all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, you're obviously starting from um, uh, an area that first episode is is couched in realism. Uh, it's if you break it yeah. down, it's not realistic. You don't have that many billboards to run on normally, um, or hanging from the sky from random cranes. But, but you know, it is it's it's presenting itself as as real wood spaces, like warehouses and city streets and, and rooftops and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and then episode two is, is getting more into the abstract um, uh, conceptually. But like, is there a is there a common source that you kind of dip into for for inspiration for those realistic areas, or is it just kind of like oh, I'm just going to make a cityish thing and then no, make no, it fun no, to no. be in? It's it's a hundred percent. It's it, I'm a big fan of cyberpunk as a genre. A very big really? fan. I wouldn't a, that. A, <laughs> a big fan of cyberpunk as a genre, you know, from from you know visual stuff, from from movies, um, from anime, from literature, everything. I'm, I'm a voracious reader and I'm an, an, an obsessive reader as well. You know, like I can sit down and I can talk to you and Sandara and then fucking like explain the entire lineage of like all the elves in Lord of the Rings and shit like that. I am I I love <laughs> when I like something. I don't know what it is, but I will I will learn everything I can about it. You know. Roman history, all, all kinds of shit. I can sit here and talk about it forever. Cyberpunk is one of those things. And I'm also very opinionated and also very no. much analytical. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> very analytical as far as to like what 
why I like the things because it's always I, I try to understand myself and I try to understand why is it that like there's 35 different kinds of this like same, you know, branches from this genre. But I like this one in particular cyberpunk for me. I've always gravitated towards and, and don't get me wrong. Like I love Blade Runner. I love a lot of what happened in the 80s. I love that lineage as well. But my preference has always been the Eastern lineage of cyberpunk with like Ghost in the Shell, Akira, mm -hmm. the sequels. And, you know, I can sit here and talk about this forever, but I feel like it all it all trends back to like, you know, William Gibson's work and like his description of the cities and everything like that. And what I believe the picture of the future actually is going to be, it's not going to be these pretty neon lights. Mm. It's, it's just not, you know, I, I, I grew up. The future is going to be grimy. A significant portion of my <laughs> life in Tijuana. Go like I, I like I I see what happens there as as things continue to build onto the cities the exist the existing infrastructure is still there mm. they just slap new shit on top of it you know and so you get like this almost like organic growth on top of like very old structures and I mean, that that happens all throughout history like you can dig down underneath uh, your ancient you know, existing towns and exactly. find other towns underneath them you know yeah um, exactly all over do. Europe all over Asia mm. all over Mexico like all everywhere like that that's just how we work so this idea that this brand new infrastructure would just like come out of nowhere and it's like oh look at all these pretty on neon a, lights on, a, on like, a nice clean slate like nothing you know everything's like cleared away no 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 yeah and so 1995 ghost in the shell which is easily my favorite movie of all time you know it is very much leaning into that aesthetic and, and when i said that i sat down and then my obsession would read all the interviews and i'm like why is this so different from everything else I've seen in the genre? And it's and they explain basically the same conclusion I came to. And I was like, okay, I, I like this. This makes sense to me. I literally, that's what I was thinking. Mm. And they say it's like, you know, the future very much is going to be built on top of something that is already there. And Hong Kong for us is the template for that. Mm. And so all the cityscape that you see in that movie is like, a lot of it is inspired by Cole Loon. Kowloon Walled City, Kowloon and just in general, and you know all the signs, the multitude, like the the the, the urban sprawl, the way that it's designed, it's very human, organic, but mm. it's very old, it's very slummy. That was the single biggest inspiration visually for that first episode. It's 1995 Ghost in the Shell, you know, with homages to other things around there, um, and it's very much rooted in that idea that this lineage of cyberpunk for me just feels more human and thematically just feels like it's going to be more into. <clears throat> what actually happens another thing that you'll notice is that there's always this motif of you know you'll see very human structures like religious buildings temples stuff like that and you'll see wires wrapped mm. around them and like tubes like coming out of them and then that that's just the visual um analogy for basically the the core concept of cyberpunk like we are building on top of our humanity we're replacing aspects of ourselves deeply deeply spiritual organic parts of us with cybernetics mm. and, and and that that idea for me allows me to just display that visually. Um, so just to reiterate again, it's, it's the first, the first two ghosts in the shell movies, number one, biggest inspiration for the first episode and the second episode of sprawl and Akira and that whole Eastern lineage of cyberpunk is 110%. Like you'll you'll go watch this movie and you'll be like, Oh yeah, that's the third level of sprawl, you know, down to the T. Um, yeah, because it's interesting because like think... Sprawl doesn't have like overt like Asian influences in its in its its geometry and its structures, but it's got this underlying kind of tone, 
that makes yeah. me feel like it's it's more leaning to that way, but it's not it's not painted on thick. Like you don't have like Chinese pagoda structures, you know, poking yeah. up all over the place. But like like that boat section, that one is like you know, kind of like you know, traveling down that that river. It's like just for whatever reason, it's like it felt a little bit kind of leaning in that direction. Although I will say yeah. it reminds me a bit like that whole layering of new down to decrepit is um very um fifth element as well um like yeah you know um, i fucking love that such movie. a good movie, I love that movie. <laughs> um so that okay. was always, that I was always it. popping into my head when you're talking about it. i was like it feels yeah fifth element's got that kind of thing going on it um and yeah I, i've always been a because I, I read a lot as well but i'm more of a fantasy um a fantasy nerd but i've always been more a fan of the grimier presentations of things like yeah, something like Lord of the Rings is quite crisp, and it's pretty, you know, but it, 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 it's an old book, but romantic. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's a romanticized view of things, and, and that's com- you know, completely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, my favorite series is um, uh, by Stephen Erickson. It's, it's he's an archaeologist and an anthropologist by trade, and he's much more tapped into the darker side of humanity and development. And the hot, the, like one of the overarching themes through the entire series is like layering on top of things, and like there's <clears> this decaying core at the base of everything. Um, which is a fascinating concept, I think, and something that is quite often overlooked in, in fiction because it, it is kind of dirty and unpleasant. Um, that's what I like. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, you like, so you're saying that you've got similar themes coming into episode two, but um, you know, we've talked about this, and from the trailer, like it's a much more abstract design. Like you're, you're flexing more into um, like pure environment from an encounter perspective, rather than trying to make it look. Sp- quite as useful like it's not streets with roads it's like this is weird tank and you've got things that you can jump on and you're getting more in that like kind of like almost doom eternal-esque um development was there a deliberate decision like okay episode two we're going to get more into slightly weirder stuff yeah so it, it lends itself back into gameplay because the way that I, I i think about this game is like we me and anna have mastery over the systems obviously we're the developers and a lot of people that are testers like you for a while are starting to get to that point right mm when they first start playing this game it, they're gonna try to play it like something like quaker doom you know yeah. they're not gonna understand the whole wall <laughs> yeah so it's gonna walk around shoot walk around yeah yeah so you have to limit <laughs> i kind of like that and so it plays into the visual themes as well right it's mm. like there's not as much abstraction going on which means that you don't have to rely on these systems just yet but by the time you get to episode two you will have had six levels mm. to really experiment and as you can tell like if you play the game You'll see that the complexity of the geometry and the amount that I ask you as a developer mm. to do as a player by running on walls and actually using it during combat, it starts to ramp up. By the time you're at episode two, mm. it's going to be the same thing. You're going to start from the low point and you're just going to slowly, slowly ask and ask more of the player. It's like, okay, before you could wall run and you get benefits from it. But if you choose not to, you'll be all right. You'll survive this. Now it's like you're not going to be able to fucking do anything in this thing, yeah. <laughs> unless you use all your systems mm-hmm. you know and that lends it, itself into the design philosophy of what we want to do visually as well as what we want to do sonically and as well as what we mm-hmm. want to do with the gameplay as the game progresses it's going to get more and more abstract and that's going to immerse you more like it's going to be more immersive as a player to mm-hmm. just like things are going to get a little bit weirder and weirder and weirder you were comfortable at the beginning because these are all things that you can recognize visually and be like oh this is a city these are city blocks like mm-hmm. you know Suddenly you're in this weird sci-fi place where it's like, the, the, okay, I can kind of get what's going on by episode three, which I have a lot of great ideas for that. <laughs> it's going to be so weird and so abstract, pure brutalism, just brooding and dark. And you're like, it's going to feel very, very oppressive. Mm. And at that point, it's like, I'm all right, show us what you excited. got. <laughs> you, better know, you better know how to wall run by now or else you're not going to be able to. <laughs> yeah. 
you know? I like that no, idea of that. like the blending of not just abstract visual design, but ab- but more abstract gameplay design, like meshing those two yeah. concepts together. And, and like, yeah, like you said, that first episode, it's, it's not, not quite a tutorial, but it does have that kind of element to it as you slowly drip feed in more and more requirements to the player in terms of the ways they need to interact with their environment. And then, yeah, episode two, it's like, well, we're assuming we're kind of at this level now. We're going we're gonna to start you know, making it more front and center. But to, in order to do that, you do need to step away from spaces that are designed to look like something else other than combat. <laughs> Um, exactly. one of those games where like the it's it's like as you play it it becomes more and more itself it's it's like so like like carlos was saying like at the start it starts off um it, it looks like a, a a normal boomer shooter right like it, it looks well it's a cyberpunk setting but like you kind of know what you're getting into yeah, like yeah. with those streets and stuff um but it kind of plays into our hands with the the aspect of like oh well there's only so much you can do in terms of like city streets and like how how do how, what does an arena look like what can we ask of the player there um and obviously like once you go into the industrial zone which from day one has been what he's he's been like from day one he was like it's gonna be it's gonna be that orange it's gonna be that fog it's gonna be the, the, the big fire smokestacks from ghost in the shell it's like he had this in his mind and like immediately we were like that's the point where we can start to go like Okay, here are some mechs. Yeah, yeah. Would you like to fight like a giant mech? <laughs> would you like to like what does like would you like to go to like the training arena where they're manufacturing these troops and running drills and stuff like that? Like we can actually start to build arenas and stuff like that. And by episode three, we can just let go of reality. Yeah. Like it's it's one of those things where like we're going deeper and deeper into kind of like the brutalism that he was talking about. But like at that point it doesn't matter if it makes sense to some degree. Like it also makes sense within the world, but like, it's like, as you're going through the game, you're turning the sprawl slider up. It's like, it's becoming more and more itself. It's, it's, it's interesting because like, we obviously love the aesthetics of, of episode one and episode two. Like those are, those are huge, like, like they're really close to our hearts, but like, it's, it's, it's going more and more towards its own identity as the game goes on. And I think that was like, it, it's a way of like, you'll know yourself from having playtested the game. Even just dropping into episode one, it's a bit of a bit of a shock. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, like we're not out here going like, oh, it's the hardest game in the world or anything like that. Like it's our game so hard, it shocks you. It's just, it needs to be played different. Like you, you don't go out and, and shoot the enemies like you would if you were trying well, to play If you try and play it normally, you, you get your ass kicked pretty fast. Like until like- yeah, it's. You know, like a, an old school boomer yeah. shooter, you, you'll get slapped. <laughs> it's movement. You have to stay. It's it's basically it's like a bu- bullet hell with like quite mm. few bullets. Like it's not there's not as many bullets on the screen as a bullet hell, but if you stop moving, you're dead. Well, you take that, so you take keep damage moving. so quickly if you if you're standing still. Um, exactly, and it's like it's that you have to pop heads, or you're going to run out of resources, and you have to. Um, it's yeah, you have to go in melee them. You have to like there's specific ways you have to fight these enemies. So that's enough of a shock itself. It's not like we're holding back. Mm. It's not like we're going like, okay, here's your baby game, and we're going to slowly introduce concepts. Like, no, straight away, we're like, this is sprawl. But oh, it's a matter of, like, how sprawl are we going to get? You know, like, how different and how insane are we going to go with this slider? And that's um, – I'm, I'm really interested to see how people respond to that. 
No, because I'm I'm a I'm I'm a huge fan of abstract design. Um, like it's it's pretty much all all I do. <laughs> I hate I hate making real world spaces. I live in a real world space. Why would I want to put that in a game? Um, <laughs> exactly. And that's why I've never made a tech base. You know, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, uh, never. Yeah, I think never. Um, but obviously the, that that's just personal personal taste. But I I, I like that idea that. By being by getting into that abstract design, you're allowing the game's sense of self to present more clearly. Yeah, I, I love that concept of like it's slowly emerging this kind of freakish and human concept, um, and and you know we get to that that you know alien unknowableness of of a design like this space that's used for something. I don't know what it is, and I'm I'm frightened by it. Or I'm a it's not designed yeah. for me to be here. Yeah, it's like yeah, this isn't meant not... for human. This is not meant for human habitation, kind of thing. And because, like, you know, <laughs> funny enough, I'm I quite like uh, hell designs. That's a big part of that is that abstraction to the point of where, like, this is not meant for mortals, kind of thing, or, or not meant yeah. for human occupation. Yeah, it's okay. a big thing. It's like, um, you know, like I'd say, like the best way to kind of describe what we're going for is like, imagine like Cyberpunk Beksinski. Mm. Right. So instead, like imagine, imagine if he was trying to do cyberpunk yeah. instead of like Hal. He is like he's and that's like fantastic example of an artist. I love his work. <laughs> well, it's, it's well, you're kind of getting towards like Geiger. Um, oh, yes, Rebel. yeah. Um, there we go. Revels just for the podcast uh, showing up as Bazinski art book. Yeah, no, incredible <laughs> stuff. Um, love this guy. That's game. Because like Geiger, I thought I'd put Geiger in a similar category, like just. You know, warping into that, which is obviously more overtly alien um, uh, kind of concepts, but that is, you know, that kind of like warped tech yeah. um, of like unknowable use. It's like this has some sort of purpose, but I'm not sure what. Um, I'm not meant to touch this. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, very cool. Um, oh, I'm immensely excited to see um, what you guys are cooking up for, for the later stuff. And every time you say brutalism, I get just that little bit more aroused because um, <laughs> I. Not historically, but recently through deciding on it for as one of the, my main themes for one of the episodes of Age of Hell, like brutalist architecture is one of these great concepts that grew out of uh, a utility. It's like concrete, yeah. like cheap, strong structures that we can build quickly. Um, you know, after World War Two, um, you know, and, and those kind of so Soviet bloc areas due to things yep. getting destroyed. Well, let's we need people to place for people to live and work. So let's just build something. Let's build it tough that will last. Because we don't have to rebuild it again. So, like, not going down like shacks. We'll go the other way. We'll go as strong as possible. And so, it started off with you know purely <coughs> use case, and then, like anything, people started exploring the artistic side of it. And uh, like brutalist art is just something else. Uh, and I think more than yeah. anything that I've seen out there and created by human hands, it leans into that abstraction that like what the fuck is this this is and it's just big there's monolithic planes like sharp edges it's not a comfortable place to to, to be in um yeah, it's, it, yeah. It i mean built the lineage of postmodernist art by architects that were very much contemporaries of a lot of people that were working in abstraction so you get these structures that are beautiful beautiful but they're very bizarre because they're not you know what you typically would expect out of something that was so utilitarian as mm. you said um, they they, they yeah. basically concept on its head. It's like let's this is supposed to be as simple as possible and just made for this one purpose. Mm-hmm. Now this is completely abstract, completely insane. We went two two million dollars over budget, but it looks cool <laughs> shit. <laughs> like that that kind of stuff. And it's never been done in Cyberpunk, to, at least in my knowledge, where we where we're gonna lean so hard mm. into that for 
episode. It's only a rare blend, yeah. There's a whole lineage of lore and stuff like that that I've written and I have up here that is going to like explain why this place is like that. Mm. But it's 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 going to be unnerving. That's yeah. the idea. You're going to go in there and you're going to be like, okay, this is scary. Yeah. You know, this is, this is not what I was expecting. And that's, again, you, you, you reel in the people with the stuff they're familiar with. Real life cityscapes and homages to like their favorite animes and shit like that. And then you just go into this completely new thing and it picks up its own identity. It's super interesting, like the relationship between cyberpunk and brutalism, because if you think about all the like main influences, like even as far as like Ghost in the Shell and stuff like that, they do a little bit of it, but they don't focus on it. But it, it is interesting because we have like a in our Discord, we have a cyberpunk aesthetics channel, and like half of that is cyberpunk, and half of it is like just cool brutalist mm. shit people are seeing. And like it's like there's a connection there that seems to be like somewhat untapped i think dune has done a really good job of it actually to some extent like the new dune film and the aesthetics of like the it's so good i mean, I'd like the book I've, i can't count how many times i've read the book i was very very pleased with the movie <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, i've never read the book but like i watched the film and immediately like instant like top three like it's up there with like ex machina and yeah. a spot for a movie that i'm sure i'll remember Incredible sound design. Whenever oh, he used the voice, I felt that shit. So I was good. like, oh my god, well, that was all, super Hans, well done. It's all Hans Zimmer. Um, it's probably yeah. Best, it, it, best, um, well, it's not him. It's the 300 people that well, was for him. That is true. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and he's like, that was cool. Come here. Go ahead. Right, put that in the thing. <laughs> I'm going to write the big score and take all the glory. Later, I'm going to take my chopper home. On that note, it's crazy because I'm really surprised that it isn't touched on more in video games. As well, yeah, like, it seems like that. it seems tailor made. Like it's this great, uh, intense yeah. presentation that allows you to build whatever play space you want. It's perfect. It's, well, it, it's, it's low poly. It works yeah. so well. Yeah, like, it's some good. Yeah. It's, it's it's crazy. And the closest thing I found to it is like the Void and Dishonored. Right. Like that. I'm not sure if you ever played Dishonored. Like the the kind of granite, kind of shattered rocks look that they go for there. That is kind of the closest I can think of. Other than some, the other one is like surf maps. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> surf yeah, maps. They're very utilitarian. Yeah, that's why. There's an austerity. It's, it's, all, it's just about the, like, the way you move around the space. That's it. That's all they care about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I used to make surf maps. I used to play surf. I was I was pretty damn good at that. I don't worry about like, texturing things, you know? <laughs> no, no. It's just like, yeah, just put the all concrete texture on this fucking thing or, yeah. or just even type textures and like, let's get it out there because, you know. Not saying that there isn't some beautiful, absolutely insanely beautiful mm. surf maps. For the most part, a lot of the early stuff was just like it was all about the gameplay. So it was just you know expedite that over aesthetics. Because I think um, well, the thing is, it's like even even the beautiful ones are like they a lot of them focus on that and it's like the aesthetic and it's just it's all about like the lighting and the way they frame it and how creative they get with it. It's it's, it's grand. Yeah, the closest thing I can even think of in a video game that kind of leaned into it was like Halo One's Forerunner architecture, kind of, you know, to an extent felt very brutalist. And then, you know, they just got they got a bit extreme with it as it went on. But um, yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm racking, very close. Racking the brain here, and you've mentioned you just mentioned Halo, which wasn't one of my first picks, but one of the things that my brutalist stuff, Major Hell, has been compared to a lot is Halo, and partly due to the color because a lot of blues and, and pale and whites and stuff like that. Halo, it, it, it's a bit sleeker. Like, it's got that, that shine to yeah. it. Like, Blue is generally quite matte in terms of its finished content. Yeah, exactly. Matte. But it, Halo does have those structural shapes. And, like, things, like some of those, like, Star Wars, like, some of the, like, the door shapes and, like, the Emperor's yeah. um, 
um, uh, the the fucking Darth Vader's tower in Coruscant and stuff like that. There are some like you do see hints of brutalism in some of those those old sci-fi stuffs, um, stuffs um, uh, concepts. Um, but while I wouldn't say it, it's quite brutalist shape, but it's brutalist in nature. But the end of um, Half Life Two. The whole combine stuff mm-hmm. like that structure in the middle with the wall that creeps out that to yeah, me has always felt quite brutalist and it's got that alienness to it like that wall shape is fucking cool like it's this big kind of bladed encroachment that just slowly yeah. consumes the city and it's this this monolithic undefeatable you know wall and uh, for me that that always struck struck me as quite brutalist and not just the visuals but in concept as well yeah, yeah, someone yeah. in uh, someone in Twitch chat mentioned control is basically oh. entirely built around that aesthetic. Yeah, control <laughs> was guarded, and I also find it really interesting that the the one game that was entirely centered around that yeah. kind of stuff was yeah. also into just some fucky shit. Oh hell yeah, no right? control is, is like, a big source of inspiration. <laughs> it's so yeah, cool. it's it's amazing. Um, What's the other one? There was one other game. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, no, Control is a very obvious, but also quite a new one. So you're right, like, historically, there hasn't been much that leans into it. I like I like the Dune reference because that didn't strike me at the time as overtly brutalist, but it definitely is because harsh environment, you know, you need to build things efficiently, like, very austere, no embellishment on the designs, but still beautiful in its shape. Like, uh, there's one scene where... I noticed the the curvature at the bottom of the walls, and I was like, "That's to catch sand. Like it's got a it's got a use case because yeah. corners are hard to clean. Um, it makes it easy to clean out, but it also looked cool um, as well. I was like that to me. That was like kind of epitomized brutalism. It's like here's a here's a functionality that's been that is also pleasing to look at or interesting. It's the same with all the overhangs. Like so, you'll see like a lot of it is like there's like a there's like a pyramid that's designed to get rid of all the the, the sand and stuff, and, and then you'll end up with like a slit it. in it. Yeah, and you you just get a slit in it with all the overhangs, and that's all. They live in like a cutout of that, and you're like, oh, that's that's because it's so hot. They mm. have to live in shadow. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's all so well thought out. And on a complete side note to that, someone has to make a first person Dune game. Someone has to make a game that isn't an RTS set in the Dune universe. Yeah, like, I think. Like, I'd be down for that. I think there's enough material there to work from in terms of like weaponry and and, and you know um, yeah. concepts and like imagine fighting the Saduka, you know, <laughs> like in a game these fucking terrifying killing machines. I'd be down for that'd that. That'd be sick. Yeah, yeah, that'd that would sick. that would be sick. so good. Yeah, fuck yeah. And even settle for like a third person, like that kind of like mm. a third person fighter or something. A like hack that. and slash could probably because there's a lot of because because of the Dune universe, like laser weapons are generally not used because they react badly with shields. And also, like, there's just a lot of physical hand-to-hand combat because um, computers are outlawed. Yeah. Um, so, uh, an actual like a third-person style, like a like a, a almost a Soulsborne style <coughs> slash, could work quite well. Well, the main thing that that jumps out to me is Dishonored mm. or Thief. Imagine so, like, so you've got like this. This might just be because I'm the the, the brutalist fangirl here, but like, um, you have the these huge structures that we only get to see parts of mm. amazing like, they would render so nicely in a video game and like it's all maze like there's secret it's, it's demonstrated in the movie as well that there's like the secret passages mm. behind the walls can you imagine like doing something like Feath or something where you're like you're in this universe and you're kind of twisting the threads of the politics yeah. behind the scenes just like you don't even necessarily need to go out into the desert and do the fighting mm. like, there's so many it's such a ripe setting 
for so many different kinds of things. And I feel like it's such a shame that the only thing we've got out of it so far has been like some RTSs. I mean, I love RTS games were my first love. So June 2 will always hold a very very special place in my heart. And, um, but you're right. Like it's a, it is a, and especially when you, you go outside the, you know, into the wider law, there's heaps of material to work from, um, for, for like other game concepts. Um, cause the other one, the other one that jumped into mind, um, and someone has mentioned, uh, Wolfenstein, the new order has some good brutalist, uh, architecture at times because it, it does it's in that kind of era where it was being made but mm. it, it's not an obvious one and particularly because of the way that it's coloured but a medieval dives yes. heavily yeah. into just abstract design and there are like because each level set has its own theme and there's, there's weird curvy shit that happens but some of them are very clean straight lined um, probably like leading towards more like kind of Aztec Mesopotamian uh, kind of structures but like if you break it if you retextured it if you cut it all in concrete it would look pretty brutalist I was about to say, yeah, that was the one thing I was about to say was like, I love what a medieval has done. They've got a very out there aesthetic and it's like super interesting. So good. Um, but like someone needs to make a texture pack for that where it's like it's concrete yeah. or marble, you know, like something like that. Mm. That would that would be awesome. Yeah. Like cut obsidian and stuff like that instead of like bright colors. And- yeah, because episode seven is the only one that really dives into that. The final one, it, it, it gets dark and, 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 and much more alien. And it's like, the, it's easily the best episode. Um, it sounds like I need to play more medieval. You do, you do. There are some that, that have more of that thing. It is generally quite bright and shiny. Um, but um, the, um, the last episode is, is a hell of an experience. It also gets into like non-Euclidean geometry, um, like gravity manipulation, all real wacky shit. It's fucking cool. Um, I, I, I could talk for a long time about a medieval. <laughs> Not just because it's made, yeah. by, made by my fellow New Zealanders, but um, uh, definitely one of my favourite of the, um, of the, the uh, Boomer Shooter resurgence. <clears throat> yeah. It's... Um... And it's super cool. Like one of the big things as well is like obviously the 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 scene is is now a lot bigger than just New Blood and 3D realms. But like I think that the existence of those two labels is like really important to the the revival that's went on here. So like obviously there's like the element of you know Dusk came out and kind of kickstarted this new trend of boomer shooters releasing as their own games and and everyone getting excited for that again. And I think it's like one of the big things for me, I mean, early on was like seeing that there's a community of people that are just interested in the concept mm. beyond just like one game. So like, sure, like you could go to like the Ultra Kill Discord or, or something like that. But like knowing that there's a wider community where there's like entire labels built around this game, it doesn't matter like if you're on those necessarily. No, you don't no. need to publish with them or be part of that group. Well, generates it generates enthusiasm. Like, like it, it makes yeah, it's like. It's like you can go there and just post about your game and it, and people will give you feedback and just be like, that's that's awesome, that's really cool. There's like an audience outside of just one title and I think that's really important. That's been really important in inspiring people. Um, and I think a lot of the young devs have like aspirations to join these like larger labels and stuff like that and that gets them into it and they're like, it's kind of like putting a brand on it, right? Like every... Every kid who wanted to be a game developer in like 2009 wanted to work on mm. like Modern Warfare or something like that, right? Like, or whatever the cool thing was at the time. I think it's really cool the boomer shooters are kind of getting their moment in the spotlight as a cool thing that people want to make. Well, I think that there's a and, couple of uh, kind of key elements there, and um, and you're right. Like, I think New Blood in particular, Three D Realms has always has been around for a long time, various iterations, and I don't think by themselves that they well, could be who knows you know speculating here but i think with new blood the important thing there it was new ips 
So for mm. a long time, it's endemic in a lot of media creation is the, the reboots and the sequels and the remakes and all that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong, we've gotten some great products like you know, Wolfenstein, The New Order, The New Dooms, all that kind of stuff, fucking fantastic. Well, even, even the Night Dive remake, yeah. right? Like, oh, yeah, great, great stuff. But they don't revitalize a gaming uh, or, or a development community. A genre, yeah. Um, and... It's so you see New Blood come out with uh, you know two absolute smash hits with Dusk, um, definitely Dusk, harmless, <coughs> but also a medieval, and then some like you know Proteus uh, was another one of the early proponents, and then you know Ultra Kill continuing um, uh, from New Blood as well, and these, these really good games, people love them, heaps of fun, and it's shown people you know around them, hey, you can do this too, and it's allowed, and you know. Uh, I think we're, we briefly talked about it beforehand, but it's, it's allowed these passion project people, people who like, you know, you know, you said Revel, you've made um, Halo mods and, you know, fucked around the source engine and all that kind of stuff back way back when. People who had these these ideas and possibly some delusions of grandeur about becoming a game dev, um, a, an opportunity, an avenue, or shown them an avenue, you can go down this path. You don't have to go study game development for four years at university and go work at some shitty AAA studio where you're taken advantage of um, and and paid pittance, you can go and make your own game. You can start now. You can do it for free. All it takes is time. Um, Yeah. And it's... it's I'm a big proponent of DIY. Yeah, it's a a viable career path. Like, I've, I've seen plenty of Doom... Doom modders become game developers, like you, things like Supplice and Salako um, start off as Doom mods. Oh, and, um, you know, this, 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 and um, yeah, it's 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 nice. It's 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 really important. Sorry to see that in a community. If you have those dreams, to see those people succeeding and and taking that step yeah. into like releasing a commercial product, because. If you see people trying and failing, with like, well, fuck, why am I going to bother doing that? That's never going to happen. But you see all these success stories, and it's still like the top, say, five or ten percent that actually make it that far. But you see it often enough <coughs> for it to be a, a source of positive reinforcement. Yeah, fuck yeah, we're going to keep doing this, and you know, and you know, they're all new IPs. Sprawl is a new IP. Asia Hell is a new IP. Fucking Salako is a new IP. Um, it's 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 those new things keep people excited. Um, and even if you don't like them all, there's so many things out there to try. There's something for everyone. Um, and it, it's an it's unmitigated un- positive, uh, in my mind. So do, do we have, do we have time for one more, uh, okay. conversation piece we before we go to the, the questions? Cause I think I have a quite good one to, to finish us up on, which good. is what do you think is next? Because we, if you, if you look at the trends on kind of indie dev, um, it, it has gone from like, you know, we, we got the tech to build stuff like Cave Story, things like that, you know, platformers that we were from the, from like the NES and SNES era. And now, you know, 2017 onwards, we've been working on, you know, the Quake era and, and things that followed that. And I think that, you know, things are going to move on soon. I think, I think that the scene to some extent is going to stay around there. But wh- where do you see the evolution of the boomer shooter going? Because I, I think it's going to move forward to like. I can tell you where I'd like it to go. <laughs> where, okay, okay. Stage, stage is yours. Where do you, where do you, where do you want well, things a, to go, and where do you see them going? It's interesting you mentioned platformers because I do I see that as quite a strong secondary indie industry because again it's got a low barrier for entry. There's a lot of nostalgia around it, and and you know there's a there's a market for those games. People are still playing the old Metroidvanias, Castlevania, things like Kaizo Hacks. Um, yeah, there's still quite a strong like continuous 
community around around those games. So I, I think that's that could boom. Uh, it's a little bit more niche, maybe. It's because they're a little bit more finickety to get into. But um, you see things like Hollow Knight, uh, Blasphemous, um, you know, some really high quality um, uh, games um, that that have that have become quite quite big hits. So that that could. Um, same thing with like um, roguelikes. So like Darkest Dungeon um, is a good good example. Like there's there's um, I think pixel art games in general tap into something within people. Um, so yeah. um, I think that's a strong kind of thing if you wanted to get into yeah, as a developer. Um, you know, those kinds of games um, I think uh, have a, a lot of potential there to to be a, a strong kind of re- re- resurgence kind of industry. Because um, I agree that boomer shooters aren't going to be around forever. This is a wave. It's, we kind of we might be approaching the crest. There's a lot out there. You're going to get a wave of games, and then a lot of people are going to stop at one. You know, I made a game called it didn't. Was it a commercial success, or I just wanted to do one? I'm going to go do something else now. So you, you will see a downturn. I don't think the industry will go away, but it, it will it will stop being so. Fun. So bad. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a, a trendy genre and music, very genre, like that. Yeah, it's, it's the, it's, it just it, it always has an apex and it falls back down. Hmm. But like that's just the nature of art. Exactly. I, I really think that what's going to be next, as far as like an evolution of the first person shooter that's just tapping into something old, is like nostalgia is inherently tied to generations. Hmm. You know, I was probably the last generation that got to grow up with like side-scrolling pixel games. Yep, the last one easily. Mm. And I see the kids that you know, the younger brothers of my friends and shit like that. Their first experience with games was like the PlayStation Two mm. or the Xbox, you know, and the GameCube and stuff like that. And I think, I think something that's going to happen is is that the the nostalgia that we have is no longer going to be the nostalgia they have because they didn't experience that. Mm. So I, I reflect on this and I, and I've come to this idea, something that I would love to see would be the resurgence of like the prime likes, you know, the Metroid prime style video mm. games, um, with the exploration focus, still first person, stuff like that. I think that's really interesting. And I'm willing to bet that there's at least a couple of, of bigger studios out there that are currently working on something in that realm. Well, I was thinking um, the thing that just popped into my head is there was the 3D platformers which had that heavy exploration. You know, when you mentioned PS2 games, well. you know, things like Spyro. Right, Spyro, 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 Ratchet, Ratchet, there's a Spyro remake, I think, coming out. So, yeah. Um, um, I think the, the important thing for this kind of bubble to happen is there needs to be an ease of access into the development um, and, and tools to exist for them. So, um, I think that might that's probably one of the, the bottlenecks. Yeah. Or roadblocks to that next wave of, of indie game development is what's easy to work on, um, what has good, well-developed tools. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but I think that's uh, to me that feels like an important consideration when you get you know for you know could, yeah. say you grew up with Ratchet and Clank, you fucking love that game. How do you go about making your own version of it? I don't know. One hundred percent. I mean, like the reason Dusk exists, I'm guessing, is one the Unity engine, two Pro Builder, and real time CSG, like the plugins they use for the level design. Like that just completely removes a whole barrier to entry. And I think that you know, my my take on it is one. Obviously, I, I'm on I'm on Carlos's side with the the whole like Metroid Prime likes and the evolution of that are going to be really really big. Mm-hmm. I think that there's been a gap in there for so long. People have been waiting for the for it to be continued and also like the tech is there but also i think that you know the scene is now big enough that like we've always we've always had you know people for voice acting animators things mm. like that involved in the modding scene and all that stuff but i think we're now at the point where we're going to get more people aping half-life 
Half-Life 1 and 2. Like, we've already seen it a little bit with Industria. Hmm. But, um, like, I think that, obviously, that was that was a shorter game that focused, like, on looking really good and stuff. I think we're going to see, like, boomer shooter-style Half-Lives that actually have, like, a story, like, a linear sequence hmm. of that kind of stuff coming out. Uh, because that's where the nostalgia is going. If you think about it, when Quake came out, what happened four years later? You got Half-Life and then Half-Life 2 coming out after that. Um, I think that the the constant train of nostalgia is going to continuously lag behind like 20, 25 years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like Rainbow like said, it's a generational it, thing. Even Sprout to an extent is more heavily leaning onto a narrative and stuff like that. It's got, it's, it's somewhere this amount <clears throat> of like everything from 1995 to like 2005. Like, like I always get comments that it's like Sprawl looks like a source game kind of. Mm. And it's like, yeah, because that was the intent. Like it's, it's not supposed to be like a very strict like this is exactly what Quake could have pulled off in 1995 or 1996. Sorry, um, this is exactly what these games look like. No, no, no. It, it's 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 supposed to be this overarching thing that I'm pulling from from my. Well, it's a blend. It's a, it's a blend of influences. You know, that's what. That's yeah, what it's, we do. It's, it's everything. It's yeah. not supposed to be this one thing. It's like it lo- it's a boomer shooter, so it looks and feels. Because exactly if you just like copy Quake. Quake, you're just making Quake. You know, exactly. <laughs> go make a Quake man. You know, <laughs> exactly what Carlos is always saying. He's like, it's Quake or or that that era of games as you remember it, not as it was, right? So Correct. like, there's always the rose tinted glasses, and you pull like your favorite elements, you remember those things, and you, you mash them together into yeah. Because um, I, I think I, I think I agree that you, you probably will see. Like as a second wave of, of FPS games, is that people inspired by you know people who are currently younger, getting older, they're inspired by more you know kind of yep. early two thousand stuff. But also, I think I wrote down like um, you're going to see an increase, uh, an ambition in scope, and because most of these boomer shooters are very simple, like even Dusk and Medieval, you know, there's kind of four front runners made by big studio, very simple, very minimal plot little bit of voice acting here and there fuck all of that mostly just about here's a level go shoot go kill stuff so blending it takes to like like the whole concept of narrative design is much harder and takes a, a bit more and a lot more forethought you can't just kind of dabbling around in a level editor and see what happens you have to plan you have to like create a plot characters when you're going to meet them how they're going to interact with each other <laughs> what's they're going to do to color the the, the, the game itself because you need to pr- want to present that visually and that's like something like Half-Life really did set the standard for that as kind of like one of the first games with a heavy nar- uh, narrative uh, element. I'm I'm really interested in seeing what the impact of Cruelty Squad is going to be. I don't. I hate that game. <laughs> I don't no, no, like, like beyond what it actually is, like the level of like, like because one, it's it is like, wild. okay, cool. It is a wild, we all know- wild game. We we all know, like, immersive sims are coming back, right? Like, in, at least on the indie scene, right? Like, we know that's where it's going right now. Is, well, that's another aspect, but I feel like that was self-evident given, you know, Gloomwood. Every, everyone's going to hop on whatever New Blood is doing right now. Mm. Um, so, like, Gloomwood, and then there's obviously Cruelty Squad. But Cruelty Squad was made in, what, like, six months or something like that, or, like, a year or something like that. And, like, sure, it looks like shit. And I don't feel bad saying that because the guy that made it knows it looks like shit, right? <laughs> it was done on purpose. <laughs> But, like, I'm really interested in seeing, like, the popularity of it can't be ignored. Like, That's true. That's true. how much money that made for what it was, and also the critical reception. Like, I'm convinced that it isn't a joke. I'm, like, like obviously the guy made a lot of it as, like, a commentary, like, some satire is a joke. But I don't believe that everyone who says this game is good is lying about it. There's a joke in there, but it's not a shit post. 
Like it's not. Yes, uh, it's, it's not like, a low no, effort. It is thing. a shoot, but it's like it. it yeah, it's, it's just, exactly. It's like yeah. there, there's a joke behind it all, but at the end of the day, there's a little bit too much quality, a little bit too much effort, a little bit too much quality, a little bit too much thought for it just to be a shit post. But. I'm interested to see because before Chloe came out, I was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly talented person who put a mm-hmm. lot of creative effort into this thing. And I think I, 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 I recognize it as being like a vanguard of something entirely fresh and entirely new. Yeah, well, that game. I don't but I can see the lineage of so much other forms of art. This is a guy that most likely went to an art school. Mm. I'm being dead ass. Because there's so much little influences from like you you pull that from this guy like right, I right. know for a fact this looks like something else like it it's it, it does have that it does have that like thing. postmodernism like experimental art like you look at a sp- a small sp- yeah there's, 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 there's like splashes of philosophy that you can like like mm. like trace down to like Foucault and stuff like that 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 to me is like this is evident of someone who actually really thought about this yeah. and I can see that and be like there's care and love in this thing mm. that most people won't appreciate or understand because it's trying to present itself as something that it, that doesn't have that and I think that was the point well I think it's um, like and they, I've, they might... I've twiddled around in it for a little bit and I'm I'm just like I just don't have time to play it mm. but it to me it immediately screamed to me emergent gameplay and I'm like yep that's why this thing is so fucking popular because you can do anything you want. It's a sandbox. Have fun. And I think a game that is so focused on its gameplay instead of its its aesthetics to an extent, you know, is 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 an important step in the right direction, regardless of whether we slice it as being ugly or, you know, whatever 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 people want to say about it that's scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 much deeper than oh, that. I, in I my agree. Opinion. Yeah. I'm interested in seeing whether or not it like influences like it's obviously going to influence stuff but what i mean is like clearly this like you could you could make it look better and look more traditional like without a lot of effort like in a lot more upfront cost what 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 that did though was like show us that you can build a large game with a lot of content quite quickly if you focus on just making what you're doing interesting Mm. And like, just do it fast. Like, the, like you look like a shoreline is just a cube in it, and no one cares. <laughs> and I'm like, is that is this like the future of it? Because like, if you hang, if you've ever seen like the haunted PS1 demo disc, um, there's a lot of really cool stuff. Like, actually gets on the demo disc. But if I, I um was involved in that Discord server briefly, and like, you just get to see all the weird in references, just shit post games, like. <laughs> See games, games that like people have like had teams of three people working for like two or three months that are just in joke shit posts yeah. and they don't even get released except like a zip file that's passed between friends and stuff as a as a meme. And I'm sitting there going like, Crowley Squad has shown that those can actually do well. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going like, is that going to be the future? Because like even Sprawl to some extent is like, well that's how us- mod- that's how modders work. They pass around like little joke projects between yeah. each other like, hey i made this funny thing like, like and like sometimes it goes bad like with the terry ward kind of trend that doom went through in the early 2000s but there's there's plenty of that stuff and like whether or not you like it it's an important part of like keeping a creative community kind of bubbling away because you're not waiting for you're not waiting long periods of time for something new to play um like there's a there's a, a fucking meme of a wad that just got released for doom called, called poogers um which is is a whole lot of quote-unquote shit posts but they're creative they're interesting they're not they're fucking fun to watch people try and get through them um whether or not it's fun to play i need to need to decide but it's it's like people like that kind of content and it comes out quickly and that's important and 
one of the key elements for keeping a creative community alive is regular content. Um, it doesn't have to be good, and that's why ZDoom took off in the in the early two thousands is because there was a lot of pretty mediocre. Let's be honest stuff but a lot of it so there's always something new to try something and like you might hate or dislike five out of six but one out of six that's my cup of tea and um like that regularity of release i think is quite an important concept um it's 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 interesting because it's a complete like opposite to what we're doing on sprawl because like sprawl takes itself seriously i mean we're we're all for like Mm. the fun of like doing crazy stuff and whatever and there's going to be a lot of like fun references and stuff like that but like it's high effort right like it's beyond anything else like we're trying and obviously like um the the people who work in these games are obviously trying and stuff too but what we're trying to polish it we're trying to give the illusion that we are you know a, a polished game studio we know what we're doing i like the idea that perhaps there's going to be like a return of like auteur game developers where like, you know, instead of Hideo Kojima, it's going to be the guy that made Cruelty Squad mm. and everyone jumps up, like everyone's excited for like, I wonder what he's going to release like this year. Mm. What's, what's he going to be putting out this year? And it's not going to be like some big, like crazy, like Gloomwood thing where we like see little bits going on for the like three years and everyone's excited. Like, Oh, what's going to be, it's like literally like a, here's, here's my like brain fart of an idea of a game. Here's like my just kind of like creative, like, I have I have a super cool idea for a game. I'm just gonna shit it out, mm. see how well it like, like not not shit it, like I'm I'm doing it an injustice because I'm sure like what I still want to put heart and soul and actually try. But what I mean is like instead of focusing on getting all your textures lined up perfectly, making it's, it's a rip, perfect, it's, it is a rip shit and bust attitude. Like it is just like get it done, get it out. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wonder if like single people teams or like two or three people who just work like that is going to be the future of indie devs instead of everyone trying to be pretentious and and kind of emulating the bigger studios right i think you need both it's like i think that's the key you do you do it's like while like because i'm definitely in that kind of like pretentious crafter no we are too like 100 percent. that's what i was trying to lay out it's like i totally get it if it took how many Shit. years? <laughs> how many years it takes for for people like these kind of games to like fucking supplies has been ten years in development. If it took that long for all for games to be for all games to be released, people get bored. Yeah, like they, they, they might they pay attention every now and then, but they wouldn't be magnetized to community. It's those regular like what's coming out. There's stuff coming out all the time. New games to try, and that's that dude that I'm struck by that idiot on Twitter who said that there's too many games. Like there's no such thing. Um, you don't you you individual consumer don't have to play at all you don't guys there's too much food too much like, like too much too much stuff what like, there's what? too much water guys yeah, there's just exactly. too much um, just too I much think, you don't I, have to I, consume I, it all yourself you that's not your job yeah, but there will be someone think, out yeah. there who plays it all or plays every game gets played by someone if you think about all the studios that you actually think about on a daily basis so i'm not sure if everyone's sad enough to think about studios on a daily basis but like if you if you like, if you think about what's relevant right now, it's things like Valve, like Bungie, mm. like uh, Infinity War, Treyarch, people who are working on like live service games, like Rare, things like that. You're you're interested in what they're going to release next. Like, I wonder what the next content patch for Sea of Thieves is, be, or I'm interested in what the next DLC for uh, Destiny is. Right? Like, cool. That's what people are like thinking about, like on the day to day basis in their lives. Right? Like, if they're playing mm. a game, I'm excited for the new content drop, but like. 
with modern game development, not many people are waiting around. Like, I'm not sitting on the edge of my seat going, no. I wonder when the next Arcane game is coming out. Like, Arcane's my favorite studio. But I'm not it's sitting here excited for the next Ar- Arcane game until it gets announced and yeah. I have a deadline in front of me. What I'm interested in is what if we, like, what if game development can start to become something like Netflix? But not like, not like weekly or like just shitting stuff out like that. What I mean is like, when you release often enough that people finish your game and they're excited for the next one, but it isn't like, a, I guess I'll find out in a year or two. Well, like it's I'm like, a, they're actually, game. yeah, right. exactly. Like they work it's like, like, they're always like, this game jam, like they're not game jams, it's definitely doing it a service to what they make, but that's like lots of regular releases. You know, if you like exactly. this kind of like, stuff, just come and dive <clears> in and find one that you like, you know, find that. You know, that Netflix TV series that released this week. Oh, yeah, cool. That is fun. I'm going to stick, spend some time with that. And they, they definitely lead into that model, I think. Um, I think that's the way you keep attention. Yeah. That's the way you hold people's attention in this age. That's the way you compete with people like Bungie and stuff like that. Is you make something where someone goes, oh, shit, I like that. When's the next one you coming out? Like being and, then, like, <laughs> and it's like every now and then if someone's thinking, oh, I wonder when that next game's coming out, there's a good chance that the answer is it's out. You can play it. Yeah, yeah. That I think that's that's going to be interesting. So, mm. and like I that, that's going to turn into the modding community too, right? Definitely, yeah, for sure, for sure. That, like that regularity of release, um, just like there's always something out there to to, to dive into. It's like because like like you say, you might be excited for the next Arcane production, but you want something to play now and yeah. to play next week, you know. Um, and um, yeah, even a big game still only takes ten hours to work through. And it'd have to be a pretty special game to play it again. Um, so even like a big group, a big, you know, something like a, a Doom 2016, you can you'll blow through it pretty fast. Um, uh, so you, you need something else. Um, there was the, the original question was, you know, what would I hope to see as as the, um, the next wave? And this is probably my favorite genre of game and I will have a crack at it. It will go well in my game dev career, but ARPGs, the old Diablo oh, games. I that's definitely a lost genre at the moment. Um, they are fucking hard to make. Um, they require insane amounts of testing. Um, so I can understand why. Um, but like, because there was one that was funny called Walson that was not a good release, um, unfortunately. No. And because um, uh, the, the the early access stuff was quite promising. But um, I yeah, the last really big one that I played a lot was Part of Exile, and that that was released shit two thousand and nine now. Um, well, there's Grim Grim Dawn. I've heard is pretty good. Oh, Grim Dawn's awesome. It takes the great core gameplay loops from Titan Quest, removes all the the bugs, and it's amazing. And has an incredibly strong modding community. So they they release their source code. Um, and say, oh wow! Yeah, like, do whatever hard. the fuck you want, guys. Like <laughs> hack it to pieces. Um, so there's a really strong <laughs> modding community for that. And I, I played that one a lot, and the modding kept <clears> going for longer than, than it would have otherwise. Um, so yeah, Grim Dawn's fantastic. It's quite cheap as well. Um, but um, like, there hasn't been anything new kind of pop out and catch my eye from that genre um, uh, for a long time, actually. So um, I'd, I'd love to Com- see some more complete- RPGs. Complete side note to that. Um, we mentioned that they released a source code. Like, I want nothing more than to be able to like migrate to something like Godot or a custom engine, where like I can ship an engine binary that's closed source or something like that. Where like, hey, I've got some stuff that the game relies on. It's mm. closed source. You need to buy the game to have access to it. However, here's all of our source code for the project. Here's all of our assets. Mm. Here's all of our like script. Good, make stuff. So like the yeah. player controller script, all that stuff. 
have at it yeah. because then you can like because that's all that's like the double whammy you can prevent piracy you can be like you have to buy the exe that actually runs these scripts or you have to um yeah you have to be able to grab our custom editor build um sure that you need to own it's kind of like the whole like you have to own the content for quake right but i'd rather distribute the content freely mm. um and make the engine locked down because well, everyone has like, access to Godot yeah, or something anyway so it's like it's only our custom stuff that would be the whole content of, like, of an sdk you know um exactly you know, just it, it, just being able to dump it and just going like i think it's important too because an sdk to some extent so like quake has a cool sdk um uh they a lot of them didn't release the source code hmm. um like for instance like if you want to do um I don't know. Like, yeah, a lot, a lot of games that do SDKs and stuff don't release like the base source code for the actual game. There's like a layer on top of it that they release mm. that allows you to do it. I think it's really important that you let people see how sh- like people what their favorite game is made. Like, like beyond like just mapping or like coding or whatever. Like, how do they structure that? Right. Like, just to be able to have a developer dump everything, you just go like, here's the project, like here's the Unity project or something like that. Is I think. Mm insane i think it's i think that's going to be another thing that people are going to start to value more as time goes on especially with like just the, the amount of games now that require like online and stuff like that i mean this has been this is not a unique take or whatever but the amount of like games that get shut down or like updates come that break the game and no one can deal with it yeah. like people are going to start valuing having access to those files i Definitely. think yeah very good um well, I'm getting quite hungry, um, so I think yeah. it might be time for a few questions. Um, there was one from Jack in the chat in the um, Discord, um, but I think we've covered it. it. Was like what were what are the some of the design principles behind the gameplay and style as well? It's like brutalism, yeah. Ghost in the Shell, <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, um, you know, it, you started Rebel with a very clear um, vision of, of that um, from the outset. It wasn't something that's kind of like slowly infiltrated into your design concepts. No, I mean, there's there's elements. There's definitely been iteration, but for the most part, it's what I said. It's mm. it's like I've had a very clear picture of what the game was going to look like and feel like yeah. 110. Mm. I think um, I think that that's that's pretty rare to have that kind of clarity um, and be able to stick with it and and like like the idea was that good to start with, and you know you've got you're not getting distracted because feature creep and design creep is definitely a problem. <laughs> very 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 obsessive and very very clear with what i do when when even when i write music it's like i tell people this is what's going to sound like i sit down and i do it for two hours like it's never i'm not very iterative it's very much like this is what it is and it's going to be good or it's going to be shit and then i just throw it away Mm, and i think like sorry i was gonna say it's, it's one of those things that like it's as soon as like any kind of hesitation that we had about working together once we got started immediately just disappeared because every time we had an idea it was one of those like we just try it out and it worked and we were in total agreement every time i'm like hey should enemies flash when you hit them like initially the game was a lot less like doom eternally like bright lights uh like um flashy enemies when you hit them and we were going for like the real gritty Mm. aesthetic with it and then like we just like you play the game and around the same time like within a like we both had the thought to ourselves within a day or two of each other like after months and months of development and just hadn't vocalized it of what if enemies flash when you hit them mm. what if what if this and that's always how it happens and we always seem to have the same revelations and it always seems to work 
like, it's was, one of those like so they have like just a, yeah. a great and lockstep kind of working relationship in terms of concept and and and, and um uh, implementation for around that kind of <laughs> thing, which, you know i think that can be seen in how quickly you're putting things together and how how fantastic the um the game is um, definitely um definitely on a good Thank thing you. there um that's a, a, a good question from uh, from shannon um where does the name sprawl come from i'd be a rebel sprawl is i picked that name out before i even started working on the thing um sprawl is a direct reference to neuromancer by william gibson nice that's what he that's the nickname of what he describes as the god i forget the acronym it's basically like the big metropolitan huge urban expanse that is on the east side of the u.s it's called the sprawl mm-hmm. you know that's what the city Denizens like refer it as it's also the name of the trilogy it's the sprawl trilogy trilogy for me it was always just like that is indicative of what i want to do mm. for the game thematically oh, you know i so wanted well. to yeah. like a just massive sprawling space always and 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 so it was very clear to me from day one like i said before i even started working on the game that's what it's going to feel like this is what's going to sound like mm-hmm. and i want a title that really really matches with that mm. and as a musician, you know, I've, I've, I've always, I've always added title shit, something. So I've a massive repertoire of, of one-liners and, and, and words and shit that I pull from, from my various, 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 various volumes of shit that I've read or seen or know about. So, you know, that, that's have, it's pretty I've, straightforward. It's from William Gibson. I have one of those, those files where it's just like thoughts, quotes, like paraphrases, yeah. like song lyrics, just like, this is cool. I think this could be a cool idea for something. Great. After later, uh, write it down. I don't want to forget it. <laughs> it always like, happens at like too. Like I'm just laying bed and I'm trying to like it just pops into my head. I was like, wait, that's perfect. Yeah, all right, yeah, great. Yeah. You know, Put that down. I said yeah, a message, just like, all right, this is an idea. I'm using you as a notepad <laughs> later. <laughs> Remember this. Yeah, that that that's very important. And also the screenshot button when you're watching a movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, hundred oh, percent. Pause. That's mine. <laughs> um. Who this is from Commander Kenoch? Uh, who or what is the protagonist persona? Um, obviously, there's some uh, probably some some stuff you want to keep hush hush around that. But um, yeah, is there anything you can tell us about about the protagonist? Uh, I'll just uh, we can tell him, right, Anna? Yeah, we can, talk, we can talk about the protagonist in a backstory. We don't necessarily yeah. need to tell them what happens. Uh, yeah, well, we won't spoil the game, but basically, um, the protagonist is a female special ops soldier, you know, who was betrayed by the government and sent into exile, essentially, and her cybernetics removed, so she has no eyes, wears a bandage around her and has to use, like, this fucking, like, headset VR thing to, like, see the world around her. Um, that is a quick summary, and I feel like I don't want to spoil more than no, that. I, like, think, there's I think that's bugs and cool shit that you're going to be able to see and figure out. But no, you're just this cybernetic, half-cyborg, badass female chick that can run on walls and, like, slow down time and shit like that. Yeah, because there is a heavy mystery mystery element to who and what you are and why, you know, what you're doing in, in the game. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to try very carefully not to spoil anything. Um, uh, I mean, which is, but uh, I think, I think that, that falls, that is definitely part of that, that cyberpunk, particularly dystopian cyberpunk trope is, is you know, the not the two on the nose amnesia kind of trope where I don't know who I am. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's that, that kind of directionless feeling, um, I think is, is quite well portrayed. And then, yeah, you do have, um, you know, some elements around that, that help lead you through the story and give you purpose and, and definition. Um, uh, yeah. 
very good <coughs> voice acting. I, I, I love the, the Aussie. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, we've actually, we've shown that in a gameplay video before, so we can talk a little bit about that, is that you will be joined by a kind of mysterious AI in your head mm, that uh, mysterious benefactor. is directing <laughs> you. Yeah, so there is that kind of element of like blank slate-ish, but she very much does have a backstory. She has her own motivations. Um, it isn't just like a cool character design. Like it's the, the the actual backstory to the character came before the design. Where we're just finishing that, like the the fleshing out of what she looks like and all that stuff now. But um, yeah, well, it, it's very it, much like if you're going to have that strong narrative element, you need to have those things locked down pretty early in the process. Yeah, yeah. and you, you're being directed by someone who knows what they're doing and has their own goals mm-hmm. as well throughout the story. So it's very much like a, you're not being. It's not just a romp throughout like cool settings and environments. It's you're on a journey. You're going from one location to the other for a reason. Mm. You have an end goal in mind, yes. and by the end of each episode, you have accomplished or failed at your goal, and you're, you're going into the next one mm. facing the consequences of that. And you know, there, there's ultimately like sprawl is a lot more story based than I think we have. I, I think most people see. So far from what we've shown, um, yeah, and like certainly what we've very driven by the story. Yeah, yeah, it goes back to the previous point that it's like there's amalgam of influences, but I want to say that it leans more into Half Life than it does Quake. Mm, yeah, I very much agree. Like it's it's not, and like a lot of those the current wave of games and urban shooters that are out or coming out, they are the faceless protagonists you know, from the '90s. This is very much more of that, yeah, heavily narrative driven concept. Um, that game's like Half-Life, um, uh, or, or you go even like, you know, Doom 3 has a bit more of it, um, you know, fear, yeah. um, you know, from that kind of early to mid, late 2000s, I think it's kind of, I think, probably the golden age of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, 100%, and that's the think- influence. Also, very important to note that it's like we, we're not forcing you at any point to interact with the story. Mm, we're not. It's just, it's just out there to, to take as much or as little as you yeah, want from it, yeah. If you want yeah, to explore, and- you want to find some logs and learn more about the story around you, find some hidden room stuff like that. You can, but it's yeah. very much optional. If you don't give a shit, you can turn on the voice volume and you can still beat the levels. Exactly, you don't need to know anything to, to progress. Like uh, I think that's a perf- for me that's a perfect blend. It's like particularly like if I want to play it again, the first time I was like, well, I'll be on this in the story, and the next time I was like, well, no, I'm just going to smash through it. Um, you know, you're not railroading people into heaps of cutscenes and um, you know yeah. slow sequences where you can't do anything, and um, you know it's. And uh, it's a great mix. And uh, I, uh, something that I think Doom 6 2016 did really well was you can just be the Doom guy and go kill all the demons, or you can dig into a bit of the lore and find stuff out and explore things. And it was it was it was just I like it when it's just there to find out if you yeah. want. I think it's yeah yeah. It's very much a big inspiration, but it's also like to some extent it's like we found it like it is funny because like. Doom opens up with that whole like, oh, you want to? You're gonna start a cutscene? No, I'm gonna kick the monitor, and yeah, that's gonna exactly. be like the opening. It's like it's super cool, yes. right? But like, <laughs> then like in Eternal and like parts of 2016, they still go into cutscenes, like proper full on like cinema. But like we never do that in Sprawl. There's like there's moments, but like the moments are you finish a level, you get on an elevator, and on the elevator ride down, there's a monologue. Or like you you open up an episode with like a quick like your your yeah your, a quick introduction like um, set piece and then it's like you gone as soon as the player has control we don't take it away from them for any reason like 
you can essentially mute the game and just pretend it doesn't exist. It's not like Half-Life. It, it is like Half-Life in like the, the sense that it is story-driven in that way, but it's not like you're stopping in every every other room for someone to talk to you and spat exposition well, and tell they, you what's going on there. You know, you never you never remove agency from the player. And like, like yeah. not the player's character, but the actual player, the person behind the keyboard, can always yeah. do what they want. And I think that's quite you, important. You will, will always be like, like at the beginning of episode two, there's a sequence that you are going to be able to experience quite soon, hopefully, um, which takes about, I want to say 30 seconds, something like that. But you can still look around and see the environment around you as you're being on this yep. basically, you know, flying thing. And then something happens. But like, that's as much as we lean into that ever, you know, you know, you can it's still never... choose where to look and where to walk. And within this environment that things are happening that you have to wait for, like that's part of, you know, just game design in general you want to present this cool scene where things move or open up or whatever <coughs> you have that no combat moment where, where you're not fighting things you've got this visual reward to, to to go through um but you know the player can choose to not look at that and go walk over there or go stand on that thing or go you know whatever they want to do the player can they can still make those choices themselves yeah um, yeah I think we definitely need to we definitely need to add an escort question though that has to happen <laughs> Just for, the, just for the memes. It's going to be the worst AI ever, so fucking is just completely stuck on walls and shit. All the AI can navigate perfectly, but, but this one, for no reason, for will no make reason. it just like... Just like it's just... stuck on a knee-high crate. It's like... <laughs> Perfect. Yep. Yep. Um, Ready a... here first. Yeah. Witnessed. Um, there was a question for me. Bridge, what's your, what's your arm workout? I'm pretty old school. Um, I, I like classic resistance training. Um, I do go to the gym a fair amount, um, but I've also got a degree in sport and ex- exercise science. Um, so it's been a part of kind of me for a long time, the whole exercise thing. So, um, but yeah, old old school, lifting the heavy things um, is more and, like, and putting them back down in the same place again. Exactly. That's how uh, Arnie became governor of California. So it's if you want to become governor, go lift things. <laughs> and I think. Uh, <laughs> some compliments for your mullet revel. Uh, as, I, as I was saying before, you got. Um, I think you weren't, weren't at your desk at the time, but um, um, I'm a big fan of the mullet. Um, where I live is Mullet Central. Um, I'm bogan as fuck. <laughs> it's great. You don't see it very often. Yep, brilliant with uh, absolute style. Um, all right, I think that might be it for questions. Um, just good because I need lunch. Um, Oh, this is an absolute pleasure, guys. Um, uh, yeah, uh, you've heard it from me many times, uh, and I cannot wait for to see more of what you've been working on. Um, uh, do you have any uh, potential announcements, demo releases, anything you're allowed to talk about, or nothing? Uh, nothing to. We'll see what the protagonist looks like very, very soon. That's about like the coolest thing that we have to announce. But yeah. we're still, we're still a bit off as far as to when the game is going to come out and the announcements for demos and stuff like that. But it, it'll come will at some we, point. Will there be a demo? There will be a demo, but it will be closer to launch. Yep. We're very much of the opinion we don't want people to burn out on the game before they have access to the game. Yep, no, that's fair enough. Um, I, I think, yeah, so um, we're, that, that's, uh, we're very pro having people get their hands on something before they have to buy it. Yep. So. Cool. So there will yeah. be a, there will be a demo, but yeah, and I, that's probably a, a good, you know, uh, a good yeah. thing. It's actually the, once the demo's out, the full game is not far away. Um, so no, like um, uh, I yeah, it's just it's easily one of the most fun things I've played uh, recently um, in, in the FPS scene, and um, 
uh, yeah, that's cannot wait for more. Um, uh, although I will, con- I will be that I will be that guy yelling at Revolt to make it harder. Um, where you got your other <laughs> your publisher telling you to make it easier. <laughs> when you when you, when you play the game, how I envision the hard mode, which is basically there's no ammo or health pickups anywhere in the level. You just have to kill the enemies. Mm-hmm. You're gonna regret ever asking me to be for it to be harder. I better stop practicing that. <laughs> Yeah, you better. You better. You're going to have a rough time, baby. <laughs> Just make sure the ogres drop drop ammo before you do Yeah, that. that's coming. Don't worry. Don't worry. And new animations for it are almost done, too. Ah, excellent. Oh, oh God. Wait, wait. No, no, no. Wait. wait. You'll make it smaller. God damn it. No, no, no. Wait, wait. I did it. Doom 10. What's that? There again? you go. Go wishlist the game. Oh. Doomtonfall.com. <laughs> I have like a knockoff Dave Oshry. We've got a meme <laughs> domain. <laughs> Doom 10 fall, one word, dot com. Um, the game. Yeah. But you can also find it by a quick Google sprawl game. Uh, it's on Steam. Uh, definitely go wishlist it. Um, it is, yeah, an absolute pleasure to play. And I um, uh, cannot wait for the full release. Um, uh, yeah, uh, very appreciative of you uh, two coming and spending a little time with me to have a ramble. Um, it was a blast. Yeah, dude, yeah. thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate it. Um, I will get you a copy of the latest version as soon as Hannah fixes the menu. Uh, that's worth waiting for because I think I've I'll uh, fix the menu. I think I've yelled. You fixed the menu. The menu well, more than well, anything. We'll speak do, after. If I hit escape, do I? Do we get booted out of the game? <laughs> that's not broken. That's intended behavior. <laughs> Bridge, do you like that intended behavior? No, I do not like that intended behavior. Okay. <laughs> it is detrimental there to my experience. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Problem solved. We, we will get you a, a copy as soon as that's sorted out. Ah, because I've, I've, I've been telling you now for like four months that that's going to happen at some point. Yeah, and I'm also, I'm, I'm still, like I said, I'm still on holiday for the next two weeks. So when you get it to me, uh, we'll come spend some time uh, with you and uh, play it. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. I love our little sessions afterwards. Oh, the heaps of fun. Oh, shit, yeah. Um, no, that is so good. <laughs> Bridge has made, everyone here, Bridge has made the game so much better. He would like me to work on the menus currently and not fix the AI, so... Oh, shut up. How long is it going to take you to... to oh, I'd say the menu, the menu for the play experience is currently more important. Yeah, it'll get fixed. It's a for anyone wondering. I can keybind myself by going into the settings, actually. For anyone wondering, it's we don't have a pause menu, so if you hit escape, it takes you back to the main menu automatically. So, of course, people... It resets the game. <laughs> and it resets the game, and we don't have save loading implemented yet, so it, it's a whole thing. It's, it is yeah. like when you're like, oh, I need to go grab a glass of water, and you instantly, or like, you know, check a message or something, you instinctively hit escape, like it's just a muscle memory thing. There's, like, a There's a pause key on your keyboard. There's a pause key on your keyboard. It says pause on it. It works. Thinks you'd be telling me to hit the scroll button to scroll. Is it no, no, is it is it my fault that people don't use the dedicated key for it? I don't know. It sounds like a you problem. <laughs> problem between keyboard and chair. <laughs> yeah. So that's no, it. We'll oh, that's, no, no, that's the first rule of game dev: always blame the player. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's been awesome talking to you. Honestly, it's been it's been great, and we'll we'll have to do it again sometime. No, definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, that would be uh, be more than keen, as particularly as development continues and we talk about new stuff. And uh, like I said, uh, we were talking about earlier, um, Hannah, uh, a stream session when you guys are happy for gameplay to be shown and you yes. saying you'd get some uh, some footage and stuff to show off, like a, a more immersive uh, experience. Um, definitely keen for that. So 
uh, pretty much when um, you guys want to pull the trigger on um, you know, sharing the gameplay a bit more publicly. Um, I'll be more than yeah, one hundred and ten percent. That'll happen real soon, hopefully. Yeah, no, that'll be great. Uh, yeah, it's it's totally it's one of those things where like everything we've shown so far has been just one hundred percent gameplay. There hasn't been any kind of fanciness going on. Mm. It's literally just a case of you know this game's like we estimate like a year out. Like it's not like three years out of mm. development. It's 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 hopefully coming in the next twelve months. Um and we're we're a year out and there's still a lot of bugs, so we don't really want to put it out there just yet. Um, no, no. But as soon as, sure as soon as it's ready for, as soon as we feel it's ready for that, we'll get people playing it and stuff like that. And then again, the the demo is going to be as polished as we can get it. It's going to be real close to release too. So once people have whetted their appetite for it, they're excited for it. We're not going to wait, make you wait. The game's going to be basically done by the time the demo comes out. Mm. So. Um, it's very much we, we plan on hitting you guys with it hard and fast when the time is right. No, so, and it's, yeah. a, it's a game that definitely uh, leans itself towards that, you know, coming in uh, and smacking you around the chops nice and aggressively. And, uh, you know, me, I like it rough. Um, all right. Thank you all. Um, we'll call that a day. Um, and uh, like I said before, go wishlist sprawl on Steam. Uh, if you guys have anything else you want to plug before we go. Um, yeah, go listen to all my fucking music and go play this thing. I, you know, you, you got you to gotta, you gotta save the thing. You got to save it, pre-save it, because if not, I'm going to find you in your favorite video game and I'm beat your ass, okay? I'm, I don't care what you're playing, Call of Duty, Quake, fucking Halo, fucking what? What fighting games you want to get on Street Fighter? I'm going to, you better pre-save this. I, I, I don't know, follow me on Twitter or something. I, I, I got nothing other than this. I'm useless. <laughs> uh, you can't follow that up. Follow me on Twitter, you'll get some dev updates, stuff like that. He's like, I've got this whole other career, follow me. I was, uh, I'm yeah. tempted to tell Ty to just cut cut it there after Rebel's rant. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> just eating right there. Mid, mid, mid-rant as well, just like... <laughs> yeah, just mid-rant. <laughs> just cut him off, like, time, time limit. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, Ty? Fly out to LA, I'll beat your ass too. What's up? He's, uh, he's, he's such a good guy, isn't he's he? He's a good guy, but I he's love games. I love that. Oh, I love that guy. Shots fired. Shots fired. All right, now hold on, hold on. Let's hear that back. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's such a good guy, isn't he? He's a good guy, but I he's better games. I love that. Oh, I love that guy. All right, I see how it is. Uh, that's why Bridgeburner is going to be paying double for this episode. Mwah. And on that note, it is, it's time to say goodbye to our guests. Um, uh, Revel and Ember, otherwise known as Carlos and Hannah, um, you can find them on Twitter. Um, and you can find their game on Steam. And I've been your host, Bridge Burner, and we'll catch you next time. Peace.